0: Today's date is November 20th, 2017. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hit the Books Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And today we have a special Thanksgiving edition of Hit the Books Podcast for you.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful.
0: For those of you not familiar with our show, we talk about comic books. I'm typically your DC fanboy. And I'm usually the Marvel guy. And we go over the latest news. The new releases coming on Wednesday to your local comic book shops. And what
1: else you can expect as a true believer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. We'll get to that later. I'm going a bit Stan Lee today. (laughs) And then at
0: the end of the show, we and a guest, should we have one, bring topics of discussion about the world of comic books and end on a happy note.
1: Hopefully. So without further ado, let's get into it. Emery, what have you been reading? Ah, well, I've been recently catching up on X-Men Gold, since I've been a a bit behind on that one. Um, I think I'm up to issue 8 or 7 right now? Hard to tell. But um, I've been reading that, and I actually just read an issue that you ended up getting. It was the... uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yep. Number nine, was it? 76. 76. Right. Way off on that one. <laughs> Woo!
0: Yeah. For those of you who did not watch episode 11, it was our variant cover of the week. Yes. By Kevin Eastman.
1: Yes. But uh, yeah, that's what I've been reading recently. Actually, I take that back. There's another thing. Uh, there is a graphic novel written by ta Coates. Uh, for Black Panther, and, and just saw it on the shelves in the library, and just decided to uh, give it a look over. I'm not done with it yet, but uh, when I am done, uh, you can expect a review on that later.
0: What are your early impressions?
1: Uh, early impressions are, uh, <laughs> let's just say... Uh, no place in Africa can ever catch a break. <laughs> Even when you're a uh, super technologically advanced Wakanda, uh, for some reason, like, if, if it's not fighting coming from the outside, there's fighting on the inside. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. It just, it, it, it went very kind of Game of Thronesy. Really? Yeah. But, uh, we'll see how it turns out.
0: All right. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, I have actually read a lot of comics this week, surprisingly. Hey. Uh, for those of you who uh, have not seen it on our channel yet, or on our Stitcher iTunes channel, we reviewed Justice League. Yeah! And it was quite a fruitful, long, two and a half hour discussion. <laughs> I managed to cut it down to about two hours and twenty minutes, but it's still pretty long. <laughs> um, uh,
1: yeah, the <laughs> I, I think my voice is still recovering from doing the the Christian Bale Batman
0: I would recommend that you don't see it in theaters, but we'll get to that later. Uh, yes,
1: we will get to that.
0: <laughs> um, but I had a, we had video troubles because we tried a new camera, didn't work out as well as we had hoped, and it was the second time we had recorded it, so we wanted to make sure the <laughs> the decision stayed fresh. Besides, you know, the time it takes to set everything up and do it over again. Um, oh yeah. So basically, while I was <laughs> editing each individual uh, audio part and um, putting things together i was just reading comics and trying to catch up on backlogs it's a pretty good time to do it i caught up on dc's ragman comics uh i always say ragman is a cool concept so i very rarely dislike a ragman comic um this one it's not as good as some past forms of ragman but it's intriguing I'll say that it's, it's kept me in it and I'm enjoying it. So
1: still has the base concept for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with Ragman, basically Ragman is this kind of, this guy that's been kind of possessed by these demon, um,
1: the the demon raps
0: from, you know, some Pharaoh or whatever. (laughs) It's, it's a little different every time, but it has like a curse. And basically Ragman consumes souls to sustain himself <laughs> and you generally got to direct <laughs> this <laughs> power um another one i read as uh one of the ones i picked up a few weeks ago that i think you read port of earth
1: yeah from
0: image comics here and uh, i liked it a lot i thought it was really intriguing really intriguing concept yeah essentially it's about um earth gets visited by some random aliens for the first time and over you know several years they make a deal to make this earth a hub kind of like a fuel station because their spaceships work on water and since earth is obviously abundant with water it makes the perfect stop and the perfect reservoir for (laughs) any kind of transport ship or anything like that yeah so earth makes a deal that in exchange for some of their technology they will allow one port to be open on earth as long as no interaction happens. And unfortunately, as with anything, <laughs> uh, people and aliens <laughs> don't really stick to what they're told. <laughs> humans try to interact with the aliens. Aliens try to interact with the humans. Sometimes things go wrong and they have to create sort of like a, a planetary defense force slash police force that monitors all these incoming and outgoing ships and the aliens that had initially visited end up being less of a sort of United Nations of interplanetary travel and more of like an Exxon mobile or, <laughs> or yeah. Texaco or something. Yeah. Um,
1: it, it definitely had the feel of, um, what would basically happen if you, this is like a space version of like a dock.
0: Yeah. It, so it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm digging the concept. We'll see how it how it goes from the first issue. The first issue is more or less just setting everything up, but I liked it a lot, and I look forward to picking up issue number two. Um, next issue, I have Slots, which also comes from Image Comics, number one. Uh, this one, I'm not really sure where it's going just yet. It is interesting, but the way it read felt like an epilogue to a TV show. <laughs> like, you know, that first ten minutes that sets everything up and not anything else. Yeah. And so basically you're just following this guy who's kind of a misfit. He's kind of at wits end, wants to kill himself, you know, out in the Vegas area generally. And he's kind of a scumbag Xboxer. Uh has a kid he hasn't seen in ten years and this and that. And um uh, an old, I guess, romantic interest I would guess. Calls him in and says she needs his help with something. She runs a casino. She's got this act. Uh, a person they used to know is trying to run him out of town, and uh, they need huh. his help scheming a way to get rid of him or get him out of the way or outshine him. Something. Yeah. And he leans back on his former boxing buddies, and then there's a little surprise at the end that's kind of interesting. But um, I'm I'll probably pick up issue two just to see where it goes. But that initial setup was just, it felt like really long and drawn out for no real reason. And there wasn't really it, yeah, it, too it, much c- in particular, and they were talking about people you don't know, and I'm gonna forget their names by the second issue, you know
1: yeah it uh, definitely from what you've described sounds like the pilot for a TV show or like yeah. the prologue to a movie
0: yeah, slots slots seems like a story that'll be better once it's in a collected volume yeah more so than as an individual comic book because it seems like there's just a lot of setup that needs to happen still and i feel like the first few issues are just going to be setting up for the final premise which will be a good long story yeah um but it has promise. it's set up pretty nice and then uh i was reading number one with a bullet which is another comic i picked up from image um my habit of picking up number ones because <laughs> I try to give everybody a chance and you yep. never know what'll be collectible and what won't be. Yeah. Uh, this one has really cool cover art, um, really stuck out on the shelf. And basically this one is about kind of a, I wouldn't say intern, but a, I guess side character slash co-host huh. on a talk show, a live reality talk show, kind of like Conan or something. Yeah. Um, It's interesting, I guess, but it seems like it's basically just taking every extreme fear that a woman has when she puts herself on the internet in any way, shape, or form. Oh. And kind of exploits that and makes it so that several things happen. You know, a fan kills themselves over their interaction on Twitter with them uh another fan stalks them and like grabs them by the arm and freaks out and falls off the building you know oh my god gets killed and uh, these aren't big things they happen really quick in the in the story yeah and then at the end there's something that's a very common fear i think with most adult women who have sexual relationships you know yeah outside of a long-term relationship you know um something gets posted on the internet um, which doesn't seem to make sense to me because in the story she's depicted as a lesbian,
1: huh. and the thing
0: that gets depicted at the end is clearly not representative of <laughs> of the, such things yeah. for this character. That's so it makes me curious odd. about two things. You know, I'll probably pick up the second issue, but I kind of feel like this book is more of kind of an exploitative concept where it's just kind of playing on the fears that a lot of women have in this new digital society where everything is on the internet and you know anybody can dig up anything in this is like a shock book yeah in this case instead of like a hidden camera they have like cameras in their contacts oh and then in, at the end of the comic there's like an expose by the creator and then like another like expose about like woman being victimized by like predatory like cameras and interactions and stalkers that you know stalk them from instagram or harass them or whatever whatever else and it's it's not false that these things happen these things do happen um but i feel like it's just kind of predatory and it's story nature yeah and it makes me really uncomfortable not because of the content but because of the way is kind it's kind of presented, yeah. It's presented in a very preachy way, and it kind of it grosses me out because it kind of sets up a world where every guy is a piece of shit. Ooh. Her boss is a piece of shit. Yeah, her, the guy friends are pieces of shit. Her, the stalkers are obviously pieces of shit. And the only good characters, the only like normal, like kind characters, it, are her female friends and her lesbian lover. So, wow, <laughs> I can, I'm maybe it won't stay this way maybe it's totally not that way at all but this first initial issue really gives me that impression and it makes me really uncomfortable because I, I I think it's going in a kind of I don't know I, I'm getting the impression that the creator at least the writer has very think stark they, opinions of all men and
1: I think she might be writing with some confirmation bias
0: yeah maybe a little bit I don't know And it's not to say it's not intriguing or interesting. It is. The concept's interesting. Like, the first few panels is her, you know, using this context software to, like, imagine stabbing her boss or whatever, who's Uh the host of the show. And, you know, then they take it out, and it's part of the segment because they're advertising this new virtual reality technology. So I'm guessing that's part of the, you know... What what is happening and what this where this video is coming from? Maybe this video didn't even happen. Maybe right. maybe it's just some virtual reality thing that was made up with this new technology or whatever to exploit the popularity of her or whatever. Right. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Where it goes, it's interesting. Uh, again, like the exposés at the end. To be fair, started off talking about like the weird patents Sony has for contact cameras and how they could be used in secret, you know, Ooh. without anybody's consent yeah Uh, and be monitored without their consent or intent um which was pretty interesting it was again to be fair it was very interesting concept very cool um but then it just got very kind of
1: i don't know it had like one message that it was kind of trying to rail home
0: yeah just it portrayed all women as victims and it portrayed all men as kind of Predators. Sleazy scumbags, predators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is obviously not the case. Yeah, uh, that's e- both ways. It's you know, it's not exclusively the case. I assure you. Right. Um,
1: case so, by case.
0: We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, um, I would be interested to see how issue two goes, just to see whether or not it keeps going in that direction. Yeah.
0: Again, it might just be giving me that impression on purpose for a narrative reason like trying to make it seem that way. And then maybe things will take a more normal turn as things come to light and we get more information. But this initial impression was very, very harsh and (laughs) I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm not familiar with the creator, so I don't know her background or anything, but uh, beyond that expose at the end. So yeah. Interesting. I'll pick up issue two just to see where it goes. Um, but it does have cool cover art. It does have very unique art structure inside the, the, the comic. And um while the writing is kind of um I don't know, uncomfortable, it is well done. It is framed well. So okay. uh the dialogue comes off as fairly natural for the most part. Um so I'll look forward to that. And then uh last last week I talked about um uh, reading the lock and key volumes for a review yeah i'm now in volume three haven't gotten to the reviews because of the justice league editing um now that we don't have any more movies this season yeah <laughs> unless we see valerian at some point um i should be free up to finally do these <laughs> reviews and put them on our webpage, uh htbvids.com if you want to check those out in the future um but again this 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 lock and key series is just so much fun i'm having so much fun reading this comic (laughs) series and if uh you have like a comixology unlimited subscription go ahead and get those volumes because most of them are available um just really good and again i'm i was rereading Nailbiter, but uh um i still have to get through volume two there Hmm. but lock and key i'm having so much fun with I, don't, I didn't think I would have so much fun with this concept and the <laughs> mysteries behind it and the characters. It's just really well done, and it's perfect for a comic book because it is, you know, in sequences, and perfect sequences where each individual key has a different power, yeah. idea, ability.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, th- I'm sold. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can't recommend it enough. Lock and key. Um great it's a great book and look forward to the those reviews going up on our web page and hopefully some videos later on if we have the time
1: <laughs> oh we'll, we'll make time somewhere just gotta just gotta find it
0: so let's get into the segment we mentioned earlier did the content match the drapes mm,
1: uh, which, which drapes did we have last time last week we had batwoman number
0: nine and we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 76. Right. Um, both were great covers, uh, specifically the Ninja Turtles cover by Kevin Eastman. Um, really loved the covers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was starting a new arc, so we were able to hop in at number 76 without being lost. Right. And um, I'll say it was interesting but I wanted to see more of the turtles. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a fair point. <laughs> it was it was fine for what it was, but I didn't care enough about these Triceratop people, right, to actually <laughs> care. I, I, yeah, I just it, wanted to see the turtles do some stuff.
1: Right, that's it, kind of what, at least I would hope to expect from a book that's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I can appreciate what they were doing. They're, like, they're having to set up uh, what's going to be the conflict between the turtles and the Triceratons. Yeah. Um, With that said, we should have had more turtle.
0: Yeah. Um, Overall, it's an average book. But it looks like it's setting up for a pretty fun event with the Ninja Turtles. So, if you're a Ninja Turtle fan, I'd say pick up seventy six. Not only for the awesome variant art for the Eastman cover, oh yeah, um, but also because it's setting up for what looks like it's gonna be a, a fun
1: story, a cool story with the Triceratons. Oh yeah, yeah, that that looks like it's gonna be like classic, like eighties to nineties comic book fair, which I I've always loved that kind of stuff. Yeah, I
0: wasn't able to find like a good condition copy of Batwoman number uh, nine. So I didn't read it again it's a number 9 so we would have to play a lot of catch up and I haven't been reading the current run of Batwoman right. But generally speaking Batman or excuse me Batwoman is a pretty good comic book. I uh, I don't know how <laughs> but they always seem to have a a decent writer on the Batwoman co- comic books and the art is always out- outstanding. Yeah. The Batwoman art is always good consistently across DC's you know reboots and everything um so i would say it's even though i i haven't read it and i don't know where they're at in that story and i don't know how they're interacting with the rebirth world right now batwoman in general is a good book to pick up so if you have been following batwoman i'd probably say the con i would guess (laughs) take an educated guess based on the premise of the story and based on the past with this character it's probably a good story oh yeah
1: <clears throat> yeah, DC, for all intents and purposes, somehow manages to have a pretty good grasp of how to write that character. Yeah. Or at
0: the very least, assign appropriate writers to them, so. Right. Um, and just a shout out, uh, Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 76, and Batwoman is currently written by Margaret Bennett. So... Props to those people, props to those individuals. The content did match the drapes. Hey, And with that, let's get into our news. First up, we have a lot of documentaries out. Mm. Mmm. Specifically, single-episode series that go for a small run there. Um... The first one we're going to talk about is called So Much Damage, How Image Comics Changed the World, and this is debuting on the sci-fi website. I don't know if it's going to be on the sci-fi channel proper. It didn't say anything in the source, Um, but they released a trailer for it, and today, November 20th, it goes up on the sci-fi website, which Ah. seems to be free to download and watch. So if that sounds interesting to you, and it does to me. Oh, yeah you should probably go out and watch it uh it's a five-part documentary about the establishment founding and proliferation of image comics and how it affected the greater comic book world um it features big names in comics including like uh jim lee todd mcfarlane rob kirkman and rob leafield so um definitely check that out i if you if you're not feeling it after the first episode or two you know feel free to skip it but uh, I I have a sneaky suspicion that this is going to be a really good um uh, documentary series. Um for those of you unfamiliar with Image, we we applaud Image all the time because they do so many things that we always harp on. Uh they took the barcode off the front of the covers. They always have unique writing, unique art. Uh they have adult books, they have kid books, and it's always very clear how they're framed. Um they run charity with their profits with the anthology collection for the las vegas shooters um they're always releasing new books they're never tied down to you know nonsensical continuity like marvel and dc proper um it's it's just a great overall comic company and they they do everything right and i think that's largely because for those unfamiliar the people that created the company guys like jim lee and todd mcfarland they were more or less run out by the terrible practices of Marvel and DC. No, oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and a, another big part by the Comics Authority Code, you know, which
1: yeah, which comic
0: th- companies were strictly adhering to, unfortunately, for far longer than they should have.
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: And it definitely limited the depth comic characters could have, resulting in a very corny, very awful <laughs> '90s period, especially <laughs> where comics were very much <laughs> weren't worth the paper they were printed on sometimes. Yeah, uh, it, it would be
1: th- in the 90s, depending on which year it was. Few and far between, you'd have a comic that was actually any good yeah. w- or worth reading. But uh, Yeah, it, I, I'm so glad, honestly, that that <laughs> happened because yeah. otherwise we wouldn't have characters like Invincible... Spawn the entire cast of The Walking Dead. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, like the. I I mean, half the books
0: I just named that were intriguing to me were image books. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's just a blatant example of how much pull they have in the current market and how much influence they have on comic fans like you and me.
1: Yeah, Um, and I think the the other thing that really helps them out, especially with uh, us older. Uh, comic book readers is that they're not tied to just doing you know tights and fights yeah <laughs> it's like we can do as you were saying uh more adult stories more stories that were grounded in reality
0: absolutely um so definitely check that out again it's on the sci-fi website it's called so much damage how image comics changed the world next up we have another documentary series that we watched the first episode of We Mm -hmm. still have to watch the second and third episodes, which have come out since. Yeah. This is an AMC documentary called Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comic Books. And it premiered last week in a two-hour opening episode, uh, or set of episodes, I should say, Um it's made up of six one hour episodes and will feature interviews with people like Stan Lee, Patty Jenkins, uh Linda Carter, Kevin Smith, Todd McFarlane, and a bunch of other people we saw on there, J.K. Simmons, just mm. um yeah, everybody you can think of in the in the comic book world, and even people that aren't really in the comic book world. Michelle act- Rodriguez, yeah. we're looking at you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't uh, unless if, she's just a she, nerd. Has she played a character that I'm unfamiliar with or uh, I don't remember her playing it? No, I comic at
1: well, <laughs> um she hasn't played a character that's been in a comic book, yeah. but a couple of the characters that she's played definitely belong in one. <laughs> uh, uh, Fast and Furious. <laughs> Fast and Furious, yeah. uh Resident Evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um it really uh Avatar. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I I mean, you say that, but uh that her character it It helped in a movie that just wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we watched the first
0: episode. W- well, w- <laughs> I think we both came off feeling that the first episode, which was about kind of the establishment of our current interpretation of Marvel Comics from Atlas Comics. yeah, uh, and the two people that primarily pushed it forward, Stanley and um, Jack Kirby. I, Who's I th- Jack Kirby? <laughs> oh, that guy that was trying to take off Stanley's credit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stanley came off very poorly in that first episode, yeah. and it's weird to say because everybody loves Stanley, uh, but he had a he had a very very kind of bad look, bad appearance <laughs> in oh. this first episode, and he, it wasn't wrong.
1: Yeah, it it was very clear from that episode that there were. Ways in which he was basically abusing his staff, yeah, and it like it definitely showed.
0: The least of which was Jack Kirby, who is very much heavily important in the creation of what you you imagined in today's Marvel comics. You know, oh yeah, the first you know version of Spider Man and Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four. You know, he drew all these people. Yeah, you know?
1: it's like he's Hulk responsible and... for like a lot of the first iterations of many of the marvel characters that people know and love today yeah
0: i mean stan lee was not an artist (laughs) Mm. he 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 could not create these you know characters and from he was an idea
1: guy and uh you know a dialogue man
0: from what we know you know even the costume designs themselves didn't really have much to do with stan lee stan lee just made up a story and a thought of a guy with powers or a woman with powers and some context and what they were. Yeah. And then
1: it was up to Jack Kirby to kind of decipher what they would look like.
0: Kirby would create it and give him that vision. And (laughs) even in telling the story, Stan Lee just made himself sound bad. (laughs) Like Uh, uh, when he was talking about the establishment of the silver surfer, who was exclusively Jack Kirby's creation. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley saw this character in the comic and said, uh, who is this guy? I didn't make up this guy. And Jack Kirby goes, well, I thought uh, Galactus should have a steward that, you know, kind of goes ahead of everybody and yeah. scouts out the planets and stuff.
1: A herald, yeah. if you will.
0: And, Stan Lee had to give himself <laughs> at least some of the credit <laughs> in his own story, even though he had just said that Jack Kirby created him. <laughs> <laughs> and then I named him Silver Surfer. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I made him into a great character. <laughs> and I was Behold,
1: like... Behold true believers. I was like,
0: Stan, uh, that was, that was like, obviously his. It was like
1: you literally in the same story just admitted to... One, not coming up with a character, and two, trying to, in some way, shape, or form, take credit for a character you did not come up with. Yeah,
0: and uh, they kind of painted this picture of Stan Lee being kind of like the Hugh Hefner (laughs) of Marvel Comics, where he was just the face of everything and took the credit for everything and kind of... Left all the artists and subwriters, you know, yeah, in the basement <laughs> in what they called literally the dungeon. Oh. Uh, and it, there's there's one picture in there of Jack Kirby sweating his butt off <laughs> in his underwear, <laughs> making this giant you know comic panel
1: in what I can only assume is like a very arid summer afternoon. And
0: I, I'm most people who are familiar with any kind of comic history know that they had a big falling out and they never really quite made up they were cordial but they never seemed to quite get it back together and make up yeah stanley has been said to have tried to make up but his you know jack kirby's wife still held resentment against him for taking all the credit which basically means all the money (laughs) yeah um from jack kirby um so it was really interesting um yeah, I don't like that they had all these interviews with people that were not relevant to the story they were telling. Like right. J.K. Simmons had nothing to contribute to it. Like um, even even Kevin Smith, like he's a notorious comic guy. He's very knowledgeable, obviously. But it, it, it I, he, seemed quite had, a
1: bit like they were just reading. He had nothing to do
0: with this story. You know, he wasn't around. Right. <laughs> you know, he wasn't reporting on this. And it's they like, they had one comic historian, and then everybody else. You know was primarily, like, celebrities that had nothing to do with it. And then there was right. a handful of, like, artists and creators who commented on it, like Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Uh, and he had one brief thing in there where he he sounded very bitter oh. against Stan Lee and Marvel in general.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, he was so mad.
0: Which, again, the Image documentary <laughs> that's on Sci-Fi <laughs> would probably elaborate on why he's so bitter. Oh, I'm um, sure. Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee both famously did work for Marvel and then left. Um, so something yeah. something to oh think about so we also watched the second episode of robert kirkman's uh, secret history of comic books on amc um three episodes have come out now uh episode focused on wonder woman and the the dynamic between marston the creator and his technically live-in spouses but one was a spouse and one was a assistant (laughs) who who had his kids yeah Uh, uh, and the the strange history they kind of share together and the unique place they have and kind of feminist history and stuff
1: yeah there's a movie coming out called uh professor marston and the wonder women which may or may not do a dramatized version of their life as a whole yeah which uh may take some embellishments in the places where people really just don't know exactly what happened
0: yeah uh i'm starting to take from these episodes that maybe take what they say with a grain of salt in each of these episodes. Yeah. The first episode, they very clearly frame Stanley as this kind of villain <laughs> 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 um, for better or worse, you know? Yeah. And uh, he brings it a little bit upon himself, but not entirely. And the second episode, um, they focus on the kind of, suggested things far more than the reality of the situation i the only reason i know these things is because i listened to a, a recent uh npr interview with a few uh biographers and the children of uh well grandchildren i should say of the marston family and um this episode on amc paints it you know, at least for the first half of the episode as exclusively this like fetish bondage, thing and they just have all these scenes with a bunch of like women spanking men and just like but just silly stuff you know yeah Yeah. you know like
1: very bdsm heavy
0: and uh, yes he had like the chains and stuff in the wonder woman comics and the weird like bondage positions and stuff like that that could be interpreted as fetishized and whatever but the way he and his wife usually explained it was it was supposed to her weakness was being bonded in chains or in ropes or whatever because that was representative of how women were kind of t- tied down by, you know, the hands of the male-dominated world in the nineteen thirties and forties and stuff, and how you know every issue she would get free and break her bonds or whatever somehow, some way, and that was representative of the future of woman, you know, breaking free of the right the it's... social bonds of you know this kind of uh, masculine dominance. Yeah, and that
1: that was the point originally yeah and i'm sure the
0: the truth is a little bit in the middle there there probably was a little bit of a fetishistic aspect to it um but i think that wasn't the primary message and that that was clearly demonstrated by the outrage that was experienced after marston's death and they started redoing the comics to be this you know kind of ditzy (laughs) <laughs> a girl that doesn't have powers anymore that wants to be, you know, married and going yeah. as a romance novelist or whatever, you know. <laughs> and then in you know the late '60s, early '70s, they made her into this super spy instead of what she had been before, which is a superhero. which sounds very familiar, doesn't it, Emery? Uh, I th- believe a favorite character of mine was taken away from their superhero mantle and made into a super spy. Grayson (laughs) You fucks Another sex icon that was (laughs) Taken away from their powerful role And made into a Nonsensical super spy
1: Sex icon for who? Everybody (laughs) He bends in ways you will never understand Those
0: glorious spanks Okay
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think I get it now. He's my
0: heterosexual life mate. <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet
1: um but uh, life mate, I'll believe
0: <laughs> they did cover many aspects of it, but I think if you want like the realistic representation of this and those events and those people that were involved, you know his wife and his you know the student turned you know, live in wife Olive. Um they both had key influences in creating Wonder Woman, you know. He Marston kinda made Wonder Woman look like, you know, the student Olive and then gave Wonder Woman more of the personality of his wife, you know, who was the strong, independent, working woman who kinda held the family together financially. Yeah. Um, while Olive took care of the kids and everything at home and took care of, you know, the T- stereotypical domestic duties or whatever and marston kind of did his own thing and made his own projects and whatever else so i guess marston made out pretty good with it but <laughs>
1: but um, he did
0: it, it is really unique and it's from a very unique time in history um that's hard to replicate and hard to interpret with a modern perception you know right it's and like I think, we're
1: we're a bit far removed yeah. from that entire situation
0: and i think there is a little bit too much in this amc series where they're trying to the, read way too much into it and make oh it yeah something that it, i don't think it was um, yeah
1: they're, they're making a lot of inferences based on like what, what they can see from the comics and trying to read between two invisible lines. Yeah. As far as like trying to interpret what that relationship was actually like. And a lot of it comes from
0: one specific author. Yeah uh, that is interviewed. And I think he is the problem with this kind of interpretation whereas npr did a much less sensationalistic view right where they just gave you more of the facts they gave you the opinions of the the grandchildren based on the stories they heard and they they had the autobiographer who was very clear about things like this is what we know and this is what we don't know and this is what people try to think about but really there isn't any evidence of that written or oral or you know (laughs) beyond the comic art and but I think this, this series is very guilty of, you know, the modern perception where if you have any single thing that is taboo, you know, you have to put, you have to embellish it with even more taboo content, you know. Right. So, yes, they had a, you know, multiple spousal household that had children with both women from the same father and lived happily in the same household and then after marston died from cancer you know continue to live together in a happy household from what we can tell and from what all the children and grandchildren say yeah um,
1: Depi- depicting a s- lifestyle of his uh specifically in the that was what the 20s in 30s?
0: Yeah, the 20s through the 40s and onward, yeah. I think yeah. He, I think he died in the 50s there.
1: Yeah, uh, depicting that as the type of relationship that he had with these two women is going to naturally basically be like the most sensationalist thing that you could do with this guy.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly from the modern view where we do have so much mystery wrapped up in it. We, we do have the modern interpretation where you can go on the internet and look at things far worse than what was (laughs) depicted, you know, so to speak easily. Um, I think people, particularly that author I was thinking of are embellishing a little bit too much to be sensationalist and like associate one taboo activity with another, you know, yeah, um, you had, definitely. But I think we associate these kind of taboo activities like polygamy, and we so, so say, "Well, if they were okay doing this, clearly they must have been doing all these other taboo activities sexually, <laughs> because they're all sexual deviants. Because that's not the way a household is run in a traditional home, you know? Right? So it's
1: like if they don't have like that basic moral fiber of it being a one man, one woman thing, then clearly there there was like there were no rules.
0: Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that being embellished in the story. And I think the truth is probably much more tame. He probably did have real feelings for his wife, but his wife was more career oriented and didn't want to have to raise kids and stuff, you know? And then he, you know, got his attention drawn to this other very independent woman who offered something else that he wasn't getting from the wife who was a busybody and wanted an independent career. And yeah. she was willing to be this stay-at-home assistant and, you know, um, partner, you know, and probably supported him in emotional ways that the other wife couldn't. Yeah, and willing
1: he, to be what the other woman wasn't necessarily wanting from yeah. the relationship.
0: And obviously, he contributed something to the relationship because neither one denied him. <laughs> right. Both of them stayed with him and seemed to do so pretty happily and both had kids at the same time with him you know yeah Uh, both were pregnant at the same time you know so clearly they didn't they all got along and they all understood you know what the dynamic was and what the relationship was and i think that's what makes it a unique story not the nonsense about him brainwashing kids with bondage and you know (laughs) all that all this kind of nonsense that you know maybe there was a little bit of that too there you know uh, there's a part in the series where they talk about the percentage breakdown of panels. Right. Where, like, Shazam would get tied up 7% of the panels, you know, where Wonder Woman would be tied up over a fourth of the panels, you know. Yeah. So, okay, it, it seemed it, it.
1: a bit disproportionate, sure.
0: But you also have to remember that Wonder Woman's main tool was the lasso of truth that was unbreakable. <laughs> right. So, you know, Shazam didn't go around carrying a lasso everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was just more convenient from a narrative standpoint. And R- right. They show some of the tied-up scenes. And, yes, from a modern perspective, that looks like something sexual. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure in the 20s and 30s, it was probably a little bit less so. You know, 40s, Yeah. probably it, a lot less so.
1: It, it probably, I think, was more in line with the, uh, the classic, like, uh, twirling mustache villain and like the damsel in this case yeah being tied up to like a railroad and it's like there's nothing sexual about that but she is in fact being tied up
0: so personally early review for this series you know this mini series take everything with a grain of salt they do give you really good and cool information in there um yeah particularly towards the end <laughs> it seems like they get a little bit more factual towards the end and a little bit more reflective towards the end but the beginning the first half is always for both of them yeah. much more sensational and... it's
1: like we we gotta grab your attention with this thing that's gonna make you think like oh my god really what oh i have to see where this goes <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so there you have it folks and then the following episode the third episode was about the establishment and the fight for the rights for Superman.
1: Yeah. Um, which, for those
0: unfamiliar, was created in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Right here I in the Middle mid Old West.
1: Yeah, Siegel and Schuster. I'm pretty sure Cleveland was their inspiration for Metropolis. Yeah. Or at least, you know, Cleveland back then. <laughs> <laughs> back when it had life. <laughs> yeah. Before their economy was based on lebron james <laughs>
0: <laughs> at least we're not detroit we're, we're
1: not, not detroit, detroit. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah
0: I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching those other two episodes oh uh, yeah hopefully you can catch them too oh or just watch them with me i don't care you can come over we can party <laughs> hey <laughs> but uh comic
1: book history party
0: yeah i highly recommend it check it out and next up we have some uh Less thrilling news. Kick-Ass creator Mark Miller and his artist John Romita Jr. have announced that their new Kick-Ass title will be featuring a pretty big, but not unusual for the times, especially coming from Marvel, um, Right. change. Dave Zuski, for those who have been keeping up with Kick-Ass, uh, who is the teenage Jewish uh, kid from New York, who <laughs> took up the mantle of kick ass with no combat experience and. <laughs> it, like he was just a kid. Was regular, a terrible vigilante who hit girl saved often. Yeah, it was um, like
1: he was just a kid with a couple of sticks and a heart for justice.
0: And it was a fun, entertaining book. But since he stepped down, Mark Miller and uh, John Romito Jr. have decided to replace him. Same universe, apparently. Replace him with Patience Lee, who is a 30-year-old black single mother of two children who lives in New Mexico, is an army veteran. This is also coinciding with uh, Mark Miller's signing of the rights for his Miller World books to Netflix. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, again... We've harped on this so many times, it makes my eyes water.
1: (laughs) But we're going to say it again.
0: If you want to diversify your book or your cast, or you want to do something diverse with a character, make a new character, please. (laughs) This is nonsense. (laughs) This is not what Kick-Ass is. (laughs) Why would this woman who lives in New Mexico running around in a neon green suit and yellow boots with sticks (laughs) again having military experience and having two kids at home why is she running around fighting some sort of crime i would guess something related to the cartel in new mexico most likely Uh, Of all places, why New Mexico? Of all people, why a 30-year-old single mother? uh, Uh,
1: uh, This would literally make more sense if she tragically lost her children, decided to take up a gun because of her military experience, and just became a female punisher. But no. But, But no. Neon
0: green suit, yellow boots...
1: Still t- still has the kids on the, the image that is-
0: was advertised. She's covered in blood in the green suit and her boots have blood all over them. And, and she's kissing her
1: daughter goodnight. <laughs> like, and she still has the sticks and yes, of all still- <laughs> the things you could have chosen to fight a war against what's probably going to be the cartel. You decided to take sticks.
0: She must have been a pogue, man. Oh. Person other than grunt for those not in the know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why would she fight with
0: sticks? <laughs> the one thing she's not trained to use. Oh, Why?
1: like I, I heard w- about this kid up has- in New York who's been, uh, he's been doing a good job at crime fighting, right?
0: I don't know if Mark Miller's been to New Mexico at all. There's really not what the
1: hell <laughs> anywhere happens to run there? around. Yeah.
0: You realize it's a flat desert for the most part. There's some mountains in there, you know, in Nevadas and stuff. But for the most part, it's just kind of flat, one-story buildings across the board spread out over a huge area because New Mexico is gigantic. And
1: did, did we <laughs> like, mention thinly populated?
0: And I would imagine cartel or any other criminals there would have long-range rifles it, it,
1: yeah. And
0: you're going to run in there with sticks, <laughs> wearing a neon green suit, it's with, like, without it, the city environment to protect you? Like, you can't hide behind a wall, because the street, <laughs> is, <laughs> the street's like, you know, 20 feet away from the door. Right. And it's like, these buildings are spread out. They're not like New York City, where they're all packed together.
1: And, and, you know. and there's maybe a couple of blocks before you're driving in the middle of the desert. Again. So I have no because idea. Because it's New Mexico.
0: I have no idea how
1: they're going to make this
0: story make any kind of sense. Again, we're reading a preview before the actual thing. Maybe in practice, it'll be like that for a reason to make it more humorous or something. But yeah. it's just so ridiculous, and it it reeks of the the Marvel aesthetic that has been happening recently. And again, this is this is when Marvel icon is losing. Uh, the kick ass title, and it's going to Image Comics. Yeah. So it's coming straight from Marvel Properties, Disney Properties, which has had a record recently with people like Riri Williams of yeah. just com- <laughs> ripping off another character to make them more diverse and throwing them in there like it's no <sighs> big deal. You know, Riri Williams being <laughs> an Iron Man who is credited with everything but did absolutely nothing except steal shit.
1: Uh, right she, she stole shit yeah, she <laughs> that's, stole that's shit her story. that she somehow managed to get to work and she's applauded for it and, and she's been made to be a hero because the, the, like we just need someone with her face that yeah. that's all we need we don't even need her personality or anything we just need her face yeah
0: so hopefully there's good context for this i can't imagine how there could be at all (laughs) especially in the same universe like the same like continuity I'm so worried why would this 30 year old single mother it just it be taking on the identity of a little teenage Jewish boy from New York who's going around getting his ass kicked every day
1: right it's like kick ass is a name that's ironic (laughs) it's like in the history of like his entire book I don't think he's kicked a single ass (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, uh, so, i'm pretty sure all of that goes to hit girl which um why aren't we just doing a hit girl book that would be a wonderful idea just <laughs> like the character's
0: already there apparently the rumor was for a long time that hit girl was going to train a new person to be the new kick-ass or a new type of vigilante that was like kick-ass or something
1: right which makes well, sense why would like why are we they just go going to new like, mexico <laughs> with a 30 year old Single mother of two is like, unless she somehow lost her husband to violent crime, I see absolutely no reason but why even, she would do this. Even then, why is she not using a fucking gun?
0: Why isn't she just calling the police? New Mexico is pretty lax with their gun laws. Yeah. And also, she's an army veteran. Yeah, she should at least know how to shoot. (laughs) Again,
1: if she was a pogue, maybe not. (laughs) But she she knows how to handle a rifle at least. Uh, Yeah, uh, that's basic training. Why? Why? Also,
0: why? Why why is she fighting in a green suit with sticks? Uh, Created by a teenage Jewish boy from New York.
1: Why is she doing that? As a single fucking parent.
0: Where does she find the time? Don't you have a job?
1: (laughs) How do you pay rent?
0: How are you raising two children and working a job and kicking ass, quote unquote, probably getting your ass kicked? Oh, yeah. (laughs) On a regular basis. It's like,
1: at at what point do you sleep? I don't know. There's so many questions. I have too many questions about it, and I don't think they're going to get answered anytime soon in a satisfactory way. Yeah. And I I have a
0: sneaking suspicion that this is just going to get applauded un- relentlessly by the media. Oh, you took your character and made it diverse and made gave it children in depth and dynamic. Like no, that's not depth and dynamic. That's bullshit. <laughs> that's bullshit. It doesn't make sense. That that doesn't it, make any sense. Could someone And please... it's not a new character. It's <laughs> just putting
1: It's the same one putting, but with like a different a situation
0: profile into an existing character. Yeah.
1: Like, it ugh and it, in, this
0: ca- in this case, it's extremely egregious because it, it just, d- you know, anybody can wear an Iron Man suit. I get it, you know. Anybody can carry a shield and call themselves Captain America, you know. <laughs> anyone
1: can carry a shield and try to call themselves Captain America. Anybody can have an experimental
0: accident, you know. <laughs> uh, but it can happen but to anyone, sure. Why would this single mother of two who's 30 years old be running around in New Mexico fighting crime with sticks? <laughs> <laughs> based, it's just, it just sounds based more the,
1: ridiculous every time we bring that up Based on the actions of a teenage Jewish kid from New York City Again, but... mind you, was not successful <laughs>
0: None of this makes sense, why? It's so, like, oh,
1: that kid didn't know how to do it I do, because I've been to, you know, I've been in the military I know how to use sticks? No, you don't <laughs> They don't teach that. I don't know. Because that's dumb.
0: Maybe Mark Miller's <laughs> just losing his mind. I don't know.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> we'll see what happens. The art looks good. So credit to John Romito Jr. At least the art looks cool. But um, yeah, I don't know the, what the, the hell they're trying to do here.
1: That's him making the best of a bad situation. <laughs>
0: um, and next up, we have Justice League, the movie we reviewed. Check out our review. It's not great. Uh, Justice League has opened up to a quote-unquote disappointing launch weekend grossing 95 million dollars domestically and 185 million dollars internationally according to forbes it is according to forbes the worst opening for the entire collection of dceu films including man of steel B- bbs suicide squad and wonder woman to give perspective justice league is estimated to have cost over 300 million dollars to produce not including marketing so with most of these superhero films they they're pretty much guaranteed the opening weekend to make their money back yeah or at least come damn close in this case they're lingering what like 30 million dollars behind what they uh, are estimated to have spent on it before marketing and marketing can usually add about 50 percent of that onto it you know depending on how they do it and we've seen heavy marketing every day yeah where, you know action figures toys posters commercials on everything <laughs> i know watching football it's just constant justice league commercials um, internet ads you name it audio ads uh, <laughs> they're they're advertising heavily and they're having terrible terrible results compared to their previous films yeah I have two things to say about this one please, please keep it low. (laughs) Don't see this movie. Please, don't see it multiple times. Please, I beg you. Uh, Because every dollar you give to them sends them the message that, yeah, let's keep doing this. Yeah. Let's keep releasing terrible quality movies. Let's keep... (laughs) <laughs> making a cgi upper lip for superman because he doesn't feel like shaving his mustache let's still have ben affleck delivering lifeless lines because he doesn't want to be fucking batman anymore and has said so publicly <laughs> and let's have this gal gadot who prioritizes her modeling career over being wonder woman who's the most iconic female superhero of all time of all time yeah period and could be You know, has already become, to an extent, thanks to the movie Wonder Woman, uh, one of the coolest and most iconic and biggest um, uh, inspirations for young girls. You know, yeah, not only to like comic books, but to (laughs) pursue being a a strong, powerful woman. You know, in the world. Yeah, and it's just It, it it it's so many steps back for her, honestly. So I beg people, please don't see this movie. It's it's not. Unenjoyable. You you might have a good time as long as you turn off your brain completely and you ignore the goofy CGI moments and the like awkward <laughs> Superman mustache issues and weird poorly written des- you know lines.
1: Um, there is one way to enjoy this movie from beginning to end, and that's to roast the shit out of it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which we did a yeah. little bit. Oh yeah.
1: Um, but we, we p-
0: showed a picture on the last or on the review, I think we showed a picture on the review of the attendance we had on opening night and it was not good. (laughs) It was not good, which is promising to me. Um, uh, The, the producers from uh, WB studios has said that the, you know, they think it's more because of the holiday, which, To their credit, it's probably a little bit true. It's the weekend. They launch the weekend before Thanksgiving. They're probably not going to have a lot of viewers the weekend of Thanksgiving because of Black Friday and people running around to stores trying to get deals and stuff. Right. Not really interested in movies. But doesn't that just make your outlook even worse? Because opening weekend is where most movies make all their money and then from there on out it's you know a spattering of five million eight million seven million just eventually it declines to a point where it's you know not even worth keeping in theaters the biggest Um,
1: issue with that is that (laughs) not only are we very clearly seeing some incompetence as far as crafting of these stories but we're now as a result of that being pointed out we're seeing some incompetence in the way of their scheduling as far as like when is the best time to release this movie absolutely and for them to and I, i i think they were doing their best to try to avoid
0: star wars on one end and, and then and Thor, Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok on the other. other. Oh my god! So they really had they nothing, were shafted. They had nothing they could really do if they wanted to continue releasing at this period, which is ridiculous because <laughs> they re, they refused to delay this movie for the several reshoots they did, and you know allowing Henry Cavill to fucking finish re- finish Mission Impossible yeah. so he can shave off the goofy mustache for the reshoots. You could have delayed it a month and probably made more money. Because nobody would be releasing in January. Right. You probably, everybody would have their post Christmas money, you know, their gift money or whatever. Kids would want to go see the movie, and you wouldn't have to worry about Star Wars or Thor Ragnarok because they're a distant memory now. Yeah. Why couldn't you delay it a month and help yourselves out? Instead, (laughs) you tried to force it into this little period in between Thor and. star wars and now, <laughs> now, <laughs> now not only because of the previous quality of your movies which has discouraged viewers yeah you and all the rumors leading up about the reshoots because the movie was too like bad and the cg was bad <laughs> like, <And> they were <laughs> you have <laughs>
1: there's no one doing that now you have
0: all these issues and you, you have directors leaving and coming because of personal issues and whatever else and you know actors saying they don't want to be part of this these franchises anymore and just yeah (laughs) and now you're you're stuck and you're probably you'll probably make your money back let's face it after you know not only the movie release but also you know blu-ray dvd sales and sales to netflix or something like that for streaming and you know tv channels that'll probably buy up rights to it they'll make their money back for sure But hopefully this is an indication, as long as people keep staying away from it to their studio, that, hey, obviously our quality is not up to snuff. And the allure, the appeal um, of seeing these characters on screen has kind of lost their weight now because we kind of blew all our load trying to rush all these things out and doing it in poor fashion. Not to say that the actors doing it are poor, but... The way the context and the story was written out, and how they're all forced, and <laughs> you know, all these things were forced in the Batman versus Superman and um, uh, Justice League. It uh, seems like they're
1: just playing catch up, like financial catch up, and this is a result. Yeah. So,
0: hopefully, this sends the message to them. They have three movies slated for production right now. Uh, they have Aquaman that's supposed to come out December of next year. They have Wonder Woman who's supposed to come out around the same time. And then they have their Shazam movie the following year, supposedly they have a cyborg movie, uh, 2019. And then they have a green lantern Corps movie slated for 2020. This is way too many movies for a studio that has been repeatedly releasing inferior products. And for a studio that has not one, but several actors expressing their concerns about staying contract for these movies you have you have a bunch of actors that want to (laughs) bail that want (laughs) to jump ship uh you have directors dealing with their personal issues so clearly you're not going to have the same directors going forward um you have a bad established you know um character arcs for these people and it's really hard for future writers even if you do everything right going forward it's going to be hard to draw an audience to your movies because of the past because of the past and what you have to do to stay within the continuity, you know, to not stray away unless you want to do the whole X-Men thing and just pretend it never happened.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Flashpoint. We're looking at you,
0: but even then you have to recast, you know? Yeah. You, you need to recast at least a handful of these characters. Um, And uh, people, you know, Joss Whedon came in again, check out our review. Joss Whedon came in and add his Whedonism To these movies, which which
1: it's very apparent which ones have it and which ones don't.
0: I personally don't dislike the Whedonism; I think it's a welcome addition, but it doesn't mesh with with what's been established. What's been established for this universe. So what? Even the stuff that was good in this universe is kind of forgotten about and destroyed, and replaced with the Whedonisms, which and sometimes are good and sometimes are really bad. Yeah, and I think. Now you have the the dichotomy where you have the previous loyalist fans for these DCEU movies that would ride or die with these movies and, you know, Zack Snyder, for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> now they're upset because their movie seems like a bottom-of-the-barrel Marvel movie now <laughs> instead of <laughs> the unique DC movie that they were hoping for. Right. And then the fans like us – are caught in this weird dynamic where we're like none of this makes sense within the context anymore yeah. not that it made a whole lot of sense to begin with and um it it's really alienating and a little weird and the story's a little weak again I again this movie's enjoyable enough if you turn your brain completely off and ignore the bad CG yeah um but that's asking a lot of your audience. Yes, y- your audience should not be forced to turn off their brains like we did for Thor Ragnarok, sa- similar situation. Yeah. But at least Thor Ragnarok had good CG. <laughs> <laughs> yes it did. And, <laughs> and Thor Ragnarok had fun CG acting, was... fun characters, you know.
1: It, like um, they have gotten so good with their CG that I believed in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, a de-aged Kurt Russell. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, is how good they've gotten.
0: Their aging technology is really good. Oh, like, yeah. For Pirates and Star Wars, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it's like they're on point with that. They've, that
0: they've, they've gotten rid of a lot of that uncanny valley, you know? Yeah. That, Still there a little bit, but well, not too much. A
1: little bit. But ugh, DC's not there.
0: Yeah, DC is not even close. Whatever, yeah. whatever animation and CG studios they're using, they just need to stop. And I think part of it is that they're just asking them way too much cuz if you see the production for these movies yeah Avengers they'll create a whole set they'll film on a street from time to time they'll yeah. use ropes and pulleys and you know real cars and all these things yeah DC they put a square block and then green everywhere <laughs> and then Henry Cavill has fucking green and little bubbles on his fucking mustache and you know, he's got a CG cape, you know? And yeah, just...
1: they were just, like, trying <laughs> to paint a picture way too much.
0: I, I feel like... What Snyder and these DC movies in general. Wonder Woman was the least egregious. Yeah, I, I didn't see Suicide Squad because I I refuse to believe that that is not a good movie based oh, on I, the glorious trailer. It I had. I swear to God, <laughs> you, one of these days we we're going to put an end to no, the, this I, bit that you keep I, doing. I won't. I I won't, <laughs> I won't ruin my belief based on that <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody trailer. I sm- that this is a, a wonderful. Great quality movie. Well, one day you'll see- I refuse to believe anything ill
1: of Will Smith. You will see the truth, which will basically just affirm everything that you already believe about (laughs) everything DCEU. But yeah, Man (laughs) of Steel
0: had really good moments, really good parts, uh, and the story wasn't, like, bad. But (laughs) they have that fucking tornado scene, and then they have Superman destroying an entire city filled with millions of people, and, like- his solution to the end problem is push harder, <laughs> which is every Superman story. Uh, yeah. It always starts off good, and then the end, you know, <laughs> the end thing he has to do to save the world is push harder, punch harder. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, that, why couldn't he do that in the first place?
1: Uh, right. It, it, it's an issue of, honestly, it's an issue of creativity yeah. with, with that character. And here's the thing that I've noticed with all of these movies. They're all pretty there. For some reason, uh, the director of photography really knows how to establish a shot and a scene. But their writing staff doesn't know how to justify going from one to the other. I mean, (laughs)
0: even that's kind of debatable because their scenes are always cut really awkwardly. Like, it's really awkward transitions, like the Wonder Woman standing on top of the, you know, <laughs> Lady of Justice thing in the it, movie. Not y- a spoiler, because yeah, yeah, it, it it's in at the, the beginning. Yeah, it's in the trailer. But anyway. there's really w- awkward transitions with both the music and the, vid- you know, cinematography. And then, like, because every set is completely CG... They never have shadows. <laughs> you always notice in their, the trailer, if you look in the trailer, there's a perfect example of it, where you have Aquaman, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, and Flash standing in a line by the Superman monument. And they're, you know, they're on that white pavilion. And, and playing of them. sunlight. Of course, all CG. Uh, everything in the shot is CG except for them. And, and none and, and, of them have shadows. <laughs> and, except Cyborg's suit. Cyborg's suit <laughs> and everything else <laughs> is CG. Um, and they have no shadow. At all. Not even like a little bit of shadow. <laughs> it's fucking weird. And the, that's how every scene looks. Every scene has those like flaws that poor or really rushed CG has where they just make the, the errors of just your thought process. Yeah. Oh, they're in an open sunlight area. They should probably have a shadow of some sort. Yeah. Because it it looks really, like, artificial when they don't. Because your brain recognizes that immediately. Your brain is like, something's wrong here. And you see these flaws immediately. And you're like, oh, this is all CG. It looks bad.
1: These are rookie mistakes.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) hopefully our audience and everybody else will listen to us and heed our advice. If you want to see this movie, that's great. And I, I hope when you see it, you enjoy it. But don't see it in theaters. Because when you see it in theaters, even though it's probably the least egregious between BVS and Man of Steel um, and probably Suicide Squad, based on what I've heard, because I refuse to believe it's a bad movie, <laughs> based on the trailer. <laughs> Every um, time, I swear to God. I refuse <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> um, it still but, commits those same crimes where it's just not logical. Uh, just poor lines, some of the actors just giving up (laughs) clearly uh ben affleck especially i think in this movie um it's just it's not up to quality and they rushed too many things when they should have just taken the long-term track and you know milked it for all it's worth you know you don't (laughs) yeah you're gonna make a lot of money initially but once that initial money's gone that initial allure is gone nobody's gonna come see your movies anymore because you're just giving them shit quality movies you know um
1: yeah, th- there's actually uh, a thing from very early on into that movie that, um, <laughs> uh, th- it's what I called the tagline of this movie, uh, this poor person, uh, most likely homeless, just uh, sitting on a street corner with a little thing of cardboard that says, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> that really was like the key message of this movie. Oh, yeah.
0: Again, they did some things better, did a lot of things worse, and there's just a lot more worse in it. Not, not as severe, but a lot more of it. So.
1: Superman's mustache.
0: His upper lip is horrible. Every so,
1: goddamn...
0: Um, it's really bad. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Rest assured. Don't see it, please. I'm begging you. Don't do it. If you see it, see it after it's out of theaters. Because that's all they care about. And our final news item. The video game Marvel Heroes, a popular online RPG series, is ceasing operation and support due to Disney opting out of its partnership with the developer Gazillion Studios. And a lot of people are angry. And probably rightfully demanding refunds for all their in-game purchases. Um, yeah. A lot of how this game works, from what I understand, is you know you can you get a certain character, or a certain number of characters to start out with, and then you can buy like new costumes and more characters, uh, or you can work forever, like any kind of online RPG nowadays. Yeah. To earn the character, but of course it probably takes forever, and it comes in like random loot boxes and stuff.
1: The grind, as we call it.
0: So, uh, have you played this?
1: I have. What do you think actually. of it? Um, it seemed very much like a, basically a reskinned version of Diablo Three. Really? Yeah, well, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's like you, you have your basic set of skills that expand as you progress in the game, and there's a end game part of it where you just keep leveling and keep leveling and get more things added to your character yeah and yeah uh it seems like there's quite a bit of game but honestly i got through it pretty quick mm-hmm. and like all of the other stuff that they were continually adding never really seemed like enough for what i was putting into it yeah well
0: uh <laughs> i'm not i'm not surprised by any of this stuff basically disney has the power now to say yay or nay to anything it really wants to and there's nothing you can really do to stop it because they own everything
1: yeah Um, that (laughs) warner
0: brothers (laughs) and dc is probably the one thing they don't own on this planet at this
1: point give it time (laughs) (laughs) like
0: between disney and google maybe microsoft you know (laughs) God, there's not gonna be a whole lot left to own
1: yeah Everything else is gonna be yeah. licensed out, and this isn't an official
0: news item, but I thought I'd put it in there. If
1: you haven't noticed, uh, Tesla has now
0: released a brand new semi truck that it will be putting in production next year, and it's they look. An, they are they are are able to be automated, just like the Tesla cars, where you just set a, a follow distance, and tell it to stay in the lines, and it just drives. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. And, um, in addition to everything for Tesla being awesome, just because it's cool, um, they look an awful lot like the trucks in Logan. Is
1: that right? And
0: I'm not sure if the trucks in Logan were based on those you know, Tesla models, and I suspect they were, but they looked exactly like the automated semi-trucks that were in Logan. <laughs> so...
1: Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is the future I signed up for, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to make the the best of it that yeah. we
0: can. I got to think, that's a little scary because a lot of people, especially in America, make money driving semi-trucks. Yeah. If, that's... if they make a situation where you don't need a driver, it's not at that point yet. You still need to have a driver there monitoring things, you know. But if you get to a point where you don't need a driver anymore... That can get creepy real fast. Oh, yeah. Just like in Logan. And you're going to have a lot of people out of jobs. A lot of people. good-paying e- jobs, too.
1: Yeah. that's, that's uh, Going the full automation route is a really good way to basically have a, a new crisis yeah. on your hands. Well, that's why I,
0: uh, I think President Obama, former President Obama, in his exit interview, was talking about how automation is probably going to be the biggest threat to the future of any kind of first world country because eventually you're going to reach a point where so many things are automated. There's just nothing left to go around. And the things that are left to go around will be in such low demand because everybody's doing them. Yeah. You won't be paid shit for it. And you're going to end up with a need for most people to need some kind of universal basic income just to live and just to get by because so many things are automated. And then yeah. and you're gonna have the elites of the, the elites that own all these things and run all these things, and you might have your handful of doctors and stuff, but not everybody can be a doctor, you know. Right. Um, it's
1: definitely gonna... gonna require some like restructuring of how society works. Yeah,
0: it's very interesting, and I wonder if there's gonna be a comic book coming along before too long that kind of experiments with this idea. If I if I were at like Image or Marvel or DC or any of these companies, you know. You name it Lion Forge, I don't care. No, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would be hopping all over this. Oh, I would yeah. I'd be creating some kind of dystopian, you know, future where everybody's there's the elites of the elites and then there's the broke fox that just <laughs> work menial jobs just to get grain, you know. Oh. And the pit hole that used to be a you know, very well established middle class, you know. Yeah, that's
1: so, the the divide deepens.
0: Not directly comic related, but very interesting nonetheless. And again, they look exactly like the trucks from Logan.
1: So. Oh, sweet Jesus.
0: Future is here. And that my friends is the news.
1: So what books are we gonna be hitting this week?
0: Well, Emory, I thought you'd never ask <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, uh, from
0: Marvel Comics. We have All-New Wolverine number 27 Legacy. <laughs> Still going. It art it damn it. <laughs> we have Black Panther number 167 Legacy. legacy. We have Cable number 151 legacy. legacy. Son of a bitch. We have Captain Marvel number 126.
1: legacy Legacy. quit it
0: (laughs) we have generation x number nine we have guardians of the galaxy the telltale series number five now i still have to play the guardians one but i just got the first season of the batman telltale series so look forward to potential review coming from that pretty soon here oh yeah we have invincible iron man number 594 Legacy.
1: legacy quit it marvel
0: we have Luke Cage number 167 Legacy. legacy. We have Monsters Unleashed number 8 legacy. legacy. How
1: is that a Legacy title? I don't understand neither. <laughs> Why does Monsters Unleashed need a Legacy? We have not had that before. That is a that is a new thing. Come on. We have Moon Girl
0: and Devil Dinosaur number 25 legacy Legacy. oh come on (laughs) another one damn it do we really need a legacy comic for this no it's not old enough (laughs) we have punisher the platoon number three we have royals number 11 legacy Legacy. (laughs) we have silver (laughs) silver sable the wild pack number 36 legacy Legacy. oh come on barely anyone reads that we have spider-man slash deadpool number 24 we have star wars number 39 oh it just says star wars oh thank god yeah for (laughs) once uh no long subtitle there we have thanos number 13 legacy Legacy. oh come on he doesn't (laughs) he has never had his own book We have The Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows, number 13. Legacy. Legacy. What the? Mm. And I just want to give it- For Spider-Man, okay. (laughs) That's fine. It deserves a legacy board. Yeah. You've already commented on this being a cool topic and a cool dynamic.
1: Yeah. Uh, Renew Your Vows is- uh, Imagine if like, basically the continuity from the 90s hadn't gone through what it went through in the 2000s. And- Peter Parker, Mary Jane, get married, have a baby. Baby becomes a mutant. And basically, dealing with the story of what happens when uh, Spider Man and his wife, Spinneret, uh, <laughs> take their child to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters yeah. and the adventures that ensue from there.
0: Now, I want to give a shout out to this cover. It is not our cover of the week, unfortunately. But it is a solid cover. And I love what they did with the title integration. Yeah. They put the, the title of the book into the art in the background. So they made it like um, part of a sign that they're swinging past. Yeah. Really cool idea. Really good artwork. I love it. Unfortunately, there were better covers this week. It was a strong week for the regular covers. Not yeah. so much for the variants, unfortunately.
1: Um, with uh, that said, that is... That is a very innovative idea that I don't think is done nearly enough in this day and age. So I want
0: to give a very, very uh, loud shout out to Ryan Stegman, who did the regular cover for The Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, number 13. Legacy. Legacy.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: We have X-Men Gold, number 16. Legacy. Legacy.
1: And that's it.
0: (laughs) From DC Comics, we have... Action Comics number 992. I harp on this all the time. I I get you were trying to appeal to the older, more loyal comic book fans by bringing back the original numbering. But it makes it so hard to keep track of where they are in the stories. And nobody wants to pick up a book in the middle of a story and not be able to get the other books. Right. You know? And
1: now to make this... <laughs> we're... we're we're almost batting a thousand here. Yeah. What the And these these books are never one-off books anymore,
0: you know. And that's probably a good thing because it makes for better stories when you draw things out a little bit. Right. But it's so hard for fans to keep track when you've you like you've taken a break for a little while from a book and you you, you see a cover that's really cool and you, you look at the story concept and it sounds interesting and you want to hop back in, but you can't find the, the first issue or the second issue
1: because you don't know where it started or where it ended. Yeah, you know? and if you end up with that issue that's kind of in the middle... 're you're, you're lost without yeah, any real you have frame no of context, reference. you don't know yeah. what has changed.
0: and yeah, it's very it's very confusing and off-putting. so yeah, I, that would be uh, Raw concept. Daunting. I understand what they were doing. I applaud you. They did a lot of great changes, like the price changes and they have like two versions of the more popular books you know come out twice a month instead of once a month. and you know a lot of good things they did. but yeah, they still have the giant rebirth banners, which are annoying because mm. they take up so much of the cover art. And then you still have the you know, <laughs> the barcode on the front, which is just not acceptable at this point. When Image has been doing without it for a long time, and several other books, Joe Benitez of all people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, just it's, it's just small things you can help yourselves out it, with. It's Next up, we have Batgirl number seventeen. We have Batman Beyond number fourteen. We have Blue Beetle number fifteen. We have Demon, Hell is Earth, number one. We have Detective Comics, number 969. We have Doomsday Clock, number one, which is the new big event they have going on with the crossover between DC Universe and Watchmen.
1: We'll see how it goes. I wouldn't wouldn't mind having... Uh, the question? Ca- oh no, wait! No, they have Rorschach. Uh, I wouldn't mind having Doctor Man. No, no, wait! They have Superman. I wouldn't mind uh, Night Out. Owl- I mean, wait, we have Batman. Why are we doing
0: this again? I don't know. It'll <laughs> be interesting. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not caught up on their Watchmen stuff. I know that uh, one of the the blood covered happy face pins were you know batman had it in the the at some point and i don't remember the context of it because i read it you know years ago i think i think a year if not two years ago when it happened but yeah uh i have no context for what (laughs) what's going on was it part of convergence and i just didn't realize it or what but
1: yeah some back reading to do for that
0: it's an interesting concept we'll see what happens there And we have Gotham City Garage, number four. Don't read this book. Don't do it. We talked about it during our does the content match the drapes, and it did not. Mm -mm. It did not match the drapes. Not even a little bit. And this cover has a shirtless Nightwing with a blue thing tattooed on his chest.
1: It's just weird. Wonderful. We have Harley
0: Quinn, number 32. We have Hellblazer. Number 16, hashtag save Constantine. Hashtag save
1: Constantine. We
0: have Justice League of America, number 19. We have Looney Tunes, number 240. We have Nightwing the New Order, number four, if you like fascist Nightwing stories. (laughs) We have Scooby Doo Team Up, number 32. We have Suicide Squad, number 30. We have Teen Titans, number 14 we have the flash number 35 we have the commandi challenge number 11 which again was being pushed pretty hard i think by tom king there uh have you gotten a chance to look at it not yet yeah me neither it's just the the covers don't look interesting to me i don't know yeah i look at the covers and i'm like oh, it looks like something like planet of the apes like and i just you know. it's
1: like the covers and the premise i yeah. just uh, it's going to give me a it's going to take me a minute to really get into that next we have the rough and ready show number two
0: and we have wonder woman number 35 from image comics we have angelic number three we have copperhead number 16 we have elephant men number 79 we have gasolina number three we have genius cartel Number four. We have God Complex. Number two, which has a pretty nice cover, too. Again, strong strong week for regular covers. Oh, yeah. Experience, not so much. Yeah. Uh, we have Redneck. Number seven. We have Savage Dragon. Number
1: 228. Ooh. That, that's one of my old faves.
0: We have Snot Girl. Number eight. We have... Underwinter, A Field of Feathers, number two. We have Void Trip, number one. We have Warframe, number two. Comic you've talked about in the past. Yep, uh, video game tie-in. And that wraps up Image. From IDW, we have Popeye Classics, number 64. (laughs) And a lot of variant covers. Yep. Weird Love, number 21, and that wraps up IDW. From Boom Studios, we have Big Trouble in
1: Little China, Old Man Jack, number
0: three. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a terrible comic, but whatever.
1: (laughs) It's like old Jack Burton always says, ah, hell. (laughs) We have Lumberjanes, number
0: 44. We have Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, number 21. We have Rugrats, number two. We have Skull Island, The Birth of Kong, number four. Looks like the movie tie-in. Yep. We have Steven Universe, number ten. We have The Unsound, number six. The previous issue of which was a previous cover of the week. Yeah. We have WWE, number 11. And that wraps up Boom Studios. From Titan Books, we have The Beautiful Death, number three.
1: Hooray, they got one.
0: And that wraps up Titan Books. From Archie Comics, we have Archie and Me Comics Digest, number two. We have Betty and Veronica Comics Double Digest, number 258. And that wraps up Archie. A lot of variants from the Riverdale TV show that they made based on Archie.
1: Yeah, I've heard it's not bad. Yeah, I just, for some reason, can't bring myself to watch it yet. We have, from Dark Horse Comics,
0: Angel, season 11, number 11. We have Bankshot, number 4. We have Department H, number 20. We have Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil, number 2. We have Tomb Raider, Survivor's Crusade, number one. And that wraps up Dark Horse. From Oni Press, we have Invader Zim, number 25. Doom, 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 doom. We have Made Men, number three. So much. (laughs) (laughs) From Vertigo, we have Astro City, number 49. We have Doom Patrol, number nine. And we have a new title, Imaginary Fiends, number one. Ooh. Yeah. From Aftershock Comics, we have Animosity Evolution, number two. We have Eleanor and the Egret, number five. And we have Jimmy... No, excuse me. And we have Jimmy's Bastards, number five. We're going to talk about this uh company this week just because one of the creators of one of the new books is doing a signing at one of our favorite comic book shops oh. the laughing ogre so yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're in columbus ohio or nearby you should check it out and see if uh you can come by and get a signed comic from the creators the first book i'm not familiar with is infer number no. two and then the book i am talking about is called long lost number no. one which is actually inspired by a, a trip they took to hawking hills and had a creepy night in the woods with sounds like city people who are never in the woods to me but (laughs) if it inspires great concepts more power to them
1: yeah
0: so check that out especially if you're a central ohio resident or nearby
1: yeah take inspiration where it finds you from
0: vault comics we have maxwell's demons number one
1: and that my friends
0: wraps up the new releases Be sure to pick them up at your local comic book shops.
1: Please remember to support your local comic book shops.
0: And on your digital devices of choice this week. Remember they always come out on Wednesday and we'll always give you the list before assuming we release on time. (laughs) Which we usually do. Out every Wednesday. Oh yeah. And now it's time to hand out the prestigious Nay Life Changing award of cover and variant cover of the week. Unfortunately, due to the strong showing from the regular covers this week and the very, very weak showing from the variant covers this week, instead of having a variant cover of the week, we have chosen two regular covers of the week to applaud and appreciate. And then next week, you can tune in again to find out if the content matched the drapes. Yeah. So, first up, we have Angel, season 11, number 11.
1: That is quite the cover they got there. The
0: cover is illustrated by Scott Fisher. Now, for those that don't know, Angel is a character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know,
1: Yeah, Angel, I remember that character as... It, it seemed like a cool kind of niche character that kind of took on a life of its own Yeah, and then eventually took on a show of its own. Yeah, And the show ran basically long enough for them to go 10 whole seasons and people like it so much that it's been justified to have its own comic book series. Yeah.
0: And uh fun fact, a lot of Joss Whedon's success you have to thank for uh Buffy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that's like that is where he gets most of his acclaim and credibility. Um originally. <laughs> originally, um he of course he's done many things like he's Firefly. Done, he's done all the things. Yeah, he he's done Firefly. He's done um Avengers. Avengers two, Age of Ultron. Yep. Uh yeah. He he's he's been a busy man. So normally you know not that
0: this being based on a TV show should hurt it, but I usually try to stray away from these things because to be in the know for does the content match the drapes, you really have to have some kind of knowledge about the show and whatever they're up to in the comic. Yeah. And it, they're it, on season 11 of this comic book plus the TV show, which I watched a little bit of when I was a teenager, but I don't really remember it that well.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, um, I'm I'm thinking that the season 11 means that uh, – if the show got a season eleven, this would be it.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of things to catch up on there. So yeah, I, I try to avoid a l-
1: it. Yeah, it takes a lot of prior knowledge in order to really get a good idea this one. But
0: this week, I couldn't in good conscience ignore this com- this cover. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> because the cover is excellent. It, it has a really cool vibe where it looks like angels kind of propped up on the the backs of several other people, uh, probably characters. <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's in this kind of limbo-looking world, and he's holding up this kind of mother-of-pearl upside-down planet. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's a little psychedelic, but very very cool. And it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of um those first entry levels in DMC. Yeah, by uh, was it Ninja Theory?
1: Yeah, it was Ninja Theory <laughs> that did that game.
0: So it has a very cool aesthetic, and I'm I'm a big fan of it. And even the artwork, it, I mean, you can tell it was probably drawn digitally you know on a digital pad or something yeah but the color the colors are fantastic the dynamic is fantastic the the people are drawn very well especially for a comic that's just an extension of a tv show you know yeah that's a lot I mean, of effort to put into you know a book that probably doesn't sell a whole lot
1: you know and i think the thing <laughs> that uh strikes me the most is uh just the pose that he's doing to hold this up. It's yeah. very... He's doing the Atlas uh, pose. Yes. yes. Atlas holding the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah. Which is, if anyone's familiar with Angel, he he does that a lot. Yeah. He, he definitely takes on the weight of the world.
0: So maybe I'll pick up the Amazing Spider-Man cover we gave credit to for Does the Content Match the Drapes? But this cover is excellent. It was probably my favorite of the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, hands down. It's a great cover and I would love to hang this if I was like a bigger Buffy fan or Angel fan, you know? Yeah. Um, But it looks like it's the penultimate uh, issue of this season of comics. So if you're a fan of Angel or Buffy, you should probably pick it up. Next up, our second cover of the week goes to Imaginary Fiends number one from Vertigo. Ooh. Now, this is a book we saw a preview of not too long ago and thought it was really cool looking. Yeah. And now we finally have it, and I can't wait to pick this book up and check it out because it looks really, really cool. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It looks like it's going to be a big part of the new Vertigo relaunch they're trying to push into next year. Yeah. Where DC finally going to let go of some of their Vertigo <laughs> titles and put them back on Vertigo where they belong, you know, where they can be more adult.
1: Yeah, it's definitely got a a whole lot of spooky going on yeah, which is exactly what I want from vertigo.
0: It's it's kind I like the artwork too cuz the art the way it's drawn and the way it's colored looks very much like the old kind of um, fairy tale panels like the fairy tale pages you'd see. Yeah. And those very stylized, you know, fairy tale books.
1: Yeah, it it made me actually in a couple of ways think of the Sandman.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. The cover is illustrated by Richard Pace. So, shout out to Richard Pace. And um, this book's written by Tim Seeley, who's done a lot of really good DC work oh, yeah. in the past, especially in the new 52. So, definitely recommend you check that out. I'm going to be picking it up, and you can look for our... Uh, Does the content match brief, the drapes? Brief review uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and impressions next week on... Did the content match the drapes. Um, man, it's just such a cool cover. Um, oh, it's
1: so good. Remember, if you watch
0: our YouTube channel, you can always see this stuff right on the video. If you uh, don't watch our YouTube channel, you can use the resource we use to see the new releases every week, which is FreshComics.us. Make sure you type that .us, not .com. FreshComics.us, and then you click New Comics This Week, and you can also check the releases for pretty much any period of time oh yeah that isn't distant future so (laughs) uh they do a great job i don't i don't know who's responsible for FreshComics.us, but they're a wonderful resource and they make our jobs a lot easier yes (laughs) so definitely check them out if you're not watching our video and you're listening to us on stitcher or itunes and we really appreciate it no matter what format you're using and for our new friends out there this is the part of the show where we each discuss the topic of our choosing about the world of comics (laughs) Emery, what is your topic this week?
1: My topic this week is... And this is something that I think became very accentuated with the release of the Justice League movie. And that is the, the nature of the rivalry between the different fandoms of comic books. Specifically... But not limited to Marvel and DC.
0: So, Thor Ragnarok versus Justice League. Which one was the worst movie?
1: Who? Justice League. Yeah, it's probably Justice League. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the DC
0: fanboy, and I'm still agreeing it's probably Justice
1: League. I'm the Marvel fanboy, and I wish that wasn't true. Uh, yeah, it's the the type of thing that if you read any comment section, uh, having to do with a certain comic book company or like specifically Marvel stuff or DC stuff, uh, if you see uh, what's commonly termed as a DC fanboy uh, on a Marvel video, uh, it is not uncommon for them to make comments that basically try to downplay what they just watched from marvel and kind of like upsell uh what is about to come out from dc um or vice versa yeah, yeah vice versa like easily
0: yeah it's a weird dynamic especially in an industry that a lot of people beyond the movies think is shrinking yeah um you would think you would want to support your comic book industry in any fashion as much as possible yeah. You know, as much as your conscience will allow you to, you know, yeah. if, or as if, much as your wallet will allow you to also true. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I, I'm a DC fanboy. I just, with the exception of maybe Wolverine, I typically gravitate towards the DC characters a lot more and the DC aesthetic a lot more. Um, It's just my personal preference, you know, but I don't not enjoy X-Men or Spider-Man or any any kind of Marvel books. And I always find it really silly when people go at each other's throats, you know, whether it's on the Internet or, you know, in conversation or whatever. Like, we have plenty of, you know, fun discussions about these things and sometimes we disagree, you know, (laughs) but... That doesn't mean, like, I dislike Marvel Comics all of a sudden or I hate them and see them as some kind of inferior publishing company or something, you know. Uh, Both companies have made mistakes in the past. Both companies have had great runs and great, you know, writers and artists, and they usually poach from each other a lot. Uh, I think with DC and Marvel in particular, I think a lot of their rivalry comes down to – early sabotaging of each other yeah and a lot of ripping off of the other one. Oh yeah you know uh, dc was notorious for kind of underhanded door deals where they're kind of using their mother company to take advantage of marvel and kind of keep them knocked down a peg yeah on the opposite side of the spectrum marvel unabashedly ripped off dc constantly
1: Oh, yeah. So it, it,
0: there there are exceptions, of course, where it went the other way around. Submariner and Aquaman, for example. Sub-Mariner, most people don't know, came first. You yeah. Know, came before Aquaman and is very similar to Aquaman. Granted, Aquaman probably has a more iconic status and is more recognizable. Um, and Because of my, Super Friends and Justice In League. my opinion, has a cooler name <laughs> and a cooler <laughs> outfit. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Submariner elf ears and... Underpants. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which have changed over time.
0: Sometimes. <laughs> um, I mean, he, then he have, doesn't have to hide. Then you have the dynamic <laughs> where Submariner is like, often depicted as a kind of villain sometimes. Yeah. Not exclusively, but you know.
1: Is like he, He's got some douchey aspects. Yeah.
0: But uh, for a long time, DC was trying to undercut Marvel because, especially with that initial run by... Uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, they were releasing very uh, time appropriate uh, comics that weren't quite as corny, that had real character concerns like, you know, Spider-Man being poor and X-Men being marginalized by society and added a depth to comics that DC and Marvel both had not previously really established. And Marvel hit that hard first. Yeah. DC caught up eventually But then both companies kind of backtracked once the Comics Code Authority gained ground in Congress. And they all accepted it to try to avoid, you know, the nonsense that was, you know, the more conservative times (laughs) in the United (laughs) States, unfortunately.
1: It it was Um, a dark time back then.
0: And it almost killed the industry. (laughs) Thankfully, it didn't succeed, but it it came darn close to almost killing the comic book industry altogether. Um, (laughs) So I think a lot of that that feudal nature comes from just several generations of pointing fingers.
1: Yeah. You know. Oh
0: yeah. DC, you know, was screwing us over, and we we were, you know, <laughs> eating fucking white bread every night just by itself trying to feed our artists and our writers because stanley was taking all the credit (laughs) (laughs) and and dc's publishers were you know undercutting all of our our company's deals and we couldn't sell in certain stores because dc's mother company was taking care of everything you know and then, on the other hand, DC's pointing at them going, well, you're ripping off all of our characters, you know? All of your powers and characters and unique ideas are coming from our characters. You're just making a different story for them and coloring them a different color,
1: you know? It's like, oh, we're just doing it better. Excelsior! <laughs> yeah, exactly. True believer. True <laughs> believer. I created (laughs) that. I created Batman, (laughs) Excelsior.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That documentary really—oh, yeah—might have changed my opinion of Stan Lee, unfortunately. I Uh, I, I mean, it didn't do him any favors. Still a legend, but man, yeah, I didn't realize how.
1: Sometimes you you got to do dark things to, you know, really make a name for yourself. And uh, Stan Lee, I don't think was any stranger to that. Unfortunately, (laughs) he succeeded. (laughs) Yeah, he did. but yeah, there's uh, definitely some history there, yeah, some bad blood. But then, in this current day and age, you <laughs> you then see things like tweets from Marvel, like saying like so sad to see you guys go, like in response to DC moving their headquarters all the way over to L.A.
0: Yeah. You don't belong in LA. Yeah. <laughs> go back home.
1: Yeah. Please. Please go back.
0: <laughs> but yeah, th- there is. Uh, I would say the comic book industry outside of the movie world. Yeah. As it currently stands is far less divisive uh, than it used to be. I think people yeah. now are just kind of, you know, just soliciting better quality content from their comics. And I think there is a little bit of divisiveness, especially. Um, when there was new 52 and um, the events prior to secret wars and all that stuff. And with Marvel, uh, where Marvel was doing a bunch of the more progressive things and getting patted on the back for it. Yeah. To an okay extent then, but now it's getting kind of egregious, like out of hand. And DC was kind of sticking to their old ways, if not experimenting with them a little bit in the new 52. And, then the fans seem to take alliances again where the DC fans were like, everything in Marvel is light and cartoony and, you know, everybody's all happy and nothing ever goes wrong. And, you know, there's no stakes. All all these characters keep getting replaced with, you know, diverse versions of themselves, you know, for no good reason. And the writing's really shallow and the stories are really shallow. At least with DC, you're getting, you know, more adult concepts you're getting a little bit more depth and darker stories again these are subjective things but that was kind of the argument being made back and forth and then marvel would say oh the dc books are way too dark and they take themselves too seriously to an almost goofy extent because these are costume superheroes trying to be serious about these things and you know yeah
1: and you like you guys and are they like going th- back to old numbering yeah there's like they're, near the thousands. The argument
0: would be like, yeah, they, they refuse to change. You know, they're not updating fast enough with the times. You know, yeah, so they, you they're still... going to
1: seem old because they are old. And their
0: their heroes have corny names like Superman and Wonder Woman. You know, that's that's usually the argument that goes back and forth. Oh yeah. Um, and I would say like both sides have some validity to it. And th- honestly, it's probably why I'm more of a DC <laughs> fan because I don't mind the goofy names as long as the characters have a little bit more depth, I guess. In those contexts. Again. It, all subjective. Oh yeah. There's obviously many Marvel examples that have plenty of depth, if not more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I will say this. It it is in terms of the comics coming out today becoming just a little more difficult to remain a Marvel fan. And <laughs> it it gets even more either difficult or easier depending on how you view the yeah. departure of brian michael bendis uh yeah yeah it, but i i will say this um when it comes to humor that's definitely something that i go to marvel for
0: yeah dc's or dc's never had the strong suit for humor really i mean you might get a little bit of something like teen titans for example and they have maybe. like maybe their kid-friendly books like the rough book or whatever you know with the dog and scooby-doo and yeah well unless it's scooby-doo apocalypse then oh, they're gonna no. take themselves seriously i guess but
1: <laughs> anything but that um
0: yeah dc has definitely struggled on that front and i don't think that's a bad thing because it, it it plays to their audience you know yeah dc fans typically don't want the like silly obnoxious humor which is why I think a lot of DC fans have revolted against the Whedon scenes and Justice League. Yeah. Um, And I don't think for particularly good reasons with the exception of Batman's lines sometimes, but (laughs) 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 Um, I don't know how much of that was Whedon how much of that was just the script, but um, there is something to be said where, you know, Fans of DC are looking for a certain thing, and fans of Marvel are looking for another thing, and that's you know there's nothing wrong with that. You you go to what you gravitate to naturally. You know there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah it does it does breed a little bit of cynicism and tribalism. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, person it, a is better than person b and creator a is better than person b and artist a is better than person b and you know like these uh, are the
1: ones that i relate to and i grew up with and i can't relate to anything from that side because of, like i i have no frame of reference for yeah. what their lives are like yeah. um yeah that's <laughs> I, I think that's usually what it's always going to come down to is like your first exposure Usually ends up forming like what kind of comics you're going to be into,
0: yeah. And I, I think a lot of people are influenced by like cartoons they watched as a kid, Definitely. especially because we had some of the best superhero cartoons. Oh, you know, yeah, the, the early to mid 90s, you know, into the late 90s and even the early 2000s, you know,
1: to an extent, there's
0: you know, great superhero shows, there's Spider Man, there with the Aerosmith theme at the beginning, you know, from Joe Perry. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have uh, X-Men with the very iconic music, of course. Yeah, you have, that
1: uh, no one will ever forget. You have
0: that awful Iron Man cartoon.
1: Ooh. <laughs> uh,
0: we have Batman the Animated Series. We had Superman the Animated Series. We had Batman and Robin the Animated Series. We had Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And, yeah. Uh, just a lot of mm-hmm. really great shows from both companies really that influenced a lot of kids of our generation.
1: Yeah. That was kind of a golden age of, uh, cartooning.
0: Yeah. And I mean, then we kind of bled into like the teen Titans era. Yeah. I think that's when it started going back to being more cartoony and silly. Um, there's the Batman, I guess, but they took a lot of chances and changing things. And I, yeah, I don't think a lot of people, especially people like us that grew up with Batman, the enemy series, um,
1: probably felt like it was changing a bit too much much, yeah
0: Yeah. um and then they had the brave and the bold which is the opposite direction (laughs) (laughs) but just as extreme you know of a change yeah Um, so there's there's been a lot of changes and a lot of things that influences generations differently and i think i think people from our generation are a little bit less you know divisive with their comic book rivalries i mean even you could even go with like Vertigo versus Icon and you know right um, dark horse versus image and you know all <laughs> these different things you could try to compete with but generally yeah, yeah. you know the divisiveness comes down to like Marvel DC yeah and uh, one being kind of lighter more visually like brighter colored and more I don't know I wouldn't say kid friendly but just everybody friendly yeah and then DC is more the kind of dark brooding um it, it's like the darker stories that I think sometimes they step on their own feet trying to copy Marvel, and I think Marvel does the same thing in the opposite direction. Yeah. Where they, you know, Marvel tries to release a darker book, and then they just kind of stumble over themselves because the aesthetic doesn't fit. Yeah. And then DC, in my opinion, like Batgirl is a perfect example where they had an amazing run of Batgirl uh, with Gail Simone, and then they changed to this suburban, goofy. You know, bright purple, bright yellow, Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, who's yeah. just a suburban college grad student who sleeps around all the time and <laughs> fights, you know it, trans people dressed as her. <laughs> like it's,
1: it's it it it's been a weird time for Batgirl currently.
0: It, it was a very bad transition, in my opinion, and I, I think they were doing just that, where they were trying to make a more everybody-friendly book instead of sticking to what they did well right and it, in my opinion i know a lot of people particularly marvel people liked it but for me personally i was just like oh this is not the dc aesthetic that i appreciate and i'm that makes me a fan and they've done that with several characters now where they tried to copy that stack and they just always seem to fall on their feet when they do it and those books end up canceled or something right if Batgirl girl wasn't Batgirl. girl i'm Fairly certain she would have been canceled a long time ago, you know. Oh yeah, if it wasn't a bat book, yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> Which are usually guaranteed sales if you just put the word "bat" on it.
0: Exactly. So, um, do you think there's anything else? I mean, the movies are obviously people. I mean, people that don't even read comic books have never picked up a comic book in their life love to argue about the dichotomy between the Marvel movies and the DCEU movies, which I think is funny because I think it actually originated with the Nolan trilogy, where people... We're saying the Nolan trilogy is amazing. Like, yeah. this, These are Oscar-winning movies. They're amazing. They're outstanding narratively. Uh, I mean, a lot of people give Dark Knight Rises a little too much credit, but you know, <laughs> visually it was still impressive. It was still cool. It was still the Nolan aesthetic. Yeah. And so people were like, oh, DC is clearly superior to these silly Marvel movies with Iron Man and Hulk. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you know? And at the time, they were, they were probably right. But yeah. now Marvel has become this giant juggernaut, you know, where right. even their bad movies aren't that bad, you know? Right. It's
1: like they, they, they can't be stopped And they at kind this of point.
0: They kind of pale in con- comparison to, uh, you know, the DCEU movies seem to pale in comparison to the new Marvel universes. Um and I think there's a lot of bitterness <laughs> for the people that were very loyal to Marvel and the Marvel movies in particular yeah. from the Nolan trilogy days. Oh, and yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. that animosity from the kind of back and forth mockery. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else to add to that? Uh, well. Is there a particular form of comic rivalry that you think.
1: I was actually going to mention the. Uh, similarities between uh the comic riv- rivalries of the 90s and the basically the comic book movie rivalries of the current day uh they seem to be very similar you think so yeah
0: i don't know i mean you're a little bit older than me so maybe you remember it a little bit better but for me, I thought like both companies weren't great <laughs> in the nineties <laughs> beyond the cartoons yeah uh I know d c for sure had probably the worst era of you know I mean they had some pretty bad stuff in the late sixties, early seventies, yeah, um, but uh they were they were pretty <laughs> pretty bad in <laughs> in the nineties there, and I think Marvel wasn't too far off either. I don't remember uh. there being like really that much competitiveness. I think if anything, they a lot of people wish they were all together, so uh, they could see them in TV shows together and stuff.
1: Yeah, that that was one thing that uh, was interesting was uh, they did, for the sake of trying to consolidate and still make money, uh, the amalgam universe was made where they kind of mixed and matched certain yeah. characters, like uh, Dark Claw was Batman and Wolverine, and I think the verses. Yeah.
0: The versus series also happened in the late '90s. Yeah, the series where you know they had like Storm going up <laughs> against Wonder Woman, and you know, yeah, Superman against the Hulk, and the, those <laughs> sorts of things. Like just... Spider Man went up against Batman, and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, which is why questions like that, at least on things like Reddit, will probably still be asked to this day. Yeah,
0: and I, I, I don't think the brands necessarily actively pursue this but i think both brands you know marvel and dc in particular understand that there's financial gain in having such a fervent rivalry you know having your fan bases go after each other (laughs) because they're inspired to support you more even if you haven't necessarily earned it every time right Uh, in the case of dceu i think there's a big prevalence of that where they have the good vibes of the Nolanverse. They have the great history and the great comics. But they obviously pale in con- comparison to the product that Disney and Marvel have been putting out for the past 10 years or whatever. Um, but because there's such uh, you know a tribe-like <laughs> defensiveness that DC fans of this particular cinematic universe have, um, they just keep supporting the kind of weaker product even though they've seen in the past that they can get a far superior product than what they're necessarily getting right now the exception being probably wonder woman yeah even wonder woman had a you know a pretty weak third act where there there were some (laughs) things where it stepped on its own feet you know yeah unfortunately but overall you know it's been a weaker slate of films altogether yeah there is that kind of tribal (laughs) nature about it where they they group into their tribe of DC cinematic fans, and they group into their, you know, fervent Marvel cinematic fans. And you know, I'm a DC fanboy, but I, I very easily recognize that the <laughs> Marvel universe typically has the much superior product. You know, um, post, in terms of movies, <laughs> post Nolan verse, yes, yeah, exclusively for movies. On that context, I think DC absolutely destroys Marvel and like animated features nowadays. Yes, that, Marvel's that's... animated features do not hold up. Um, typically, there are exceptions, but for me, I, I watch those and I'm like, "Man, how how is WB so much better at animated stuff? But Marvel yeah. is so much better at the current <laughs> cinematic stuff." You know, when DC is in LA, right? I don't, I don't that, know. It,
1: it there's a lot that goes into like the differences and how they both approach each medium yeah and it definitely shows and i think the appreciation that uh, each set of fans have for their favorite company uh i think it just kind of lends itself to uh deepening either the rivalry or maybe in some cases like if there's like oversaturation uh you'll see people kind of go to the other side yeah sure like, Oh, yeah, I, I've gotten, qu- like, maybe my fill of too much darkness. I'm going to go over to Marvel and sure. uh, see what the what the fun is all about.
0: Absolutely, and that's that's yeah. another good feature of having, you know, the two separate ideas and the two common threads throughout these comics. So you know what you're going to expect from DC. You know what you're going to expect from Marvel. And and you know what to pursue for yeah. your tastes. Yeah typically (laughs) there's there's usually there's always exceptions to the rule there's so many comics out there there's so many writers so many artists you know they're they stray from time to time both sides you know and both sides like i said typically try to copy each other a little bit you know it's very true sometimes it doesn't work out sometimes it does you know yeah um i think another thing to uh consider when we're thinking about these heated rivalries that don't really seem to exist for other comic companies, yeah, you, know, you don't see Popeye fans <laughs> going crazy <laughs> with the rivalry with Archie Comics or something, you know. These, right. These things don't happen, you know. You don't see Dark Horse going at you know Image or Lion Forge or you know, right. Titan Books going after AfterShock or something, you know. This this doesn't happen. Right. I think a lot of this kind of tribal mentality, in addition to the history we've discussed, I think a lot of this kind of uh, DC Marvel strife comes from growing up with these long-term characters that you know with a lot of image books it's one or two off you know invincible is there but it's gonna it's going to end kirkman has established it's going to end it's only it hasn't been around that long and it's going to end walking dead again yeah hasn't been around that long and it's going to end and for a lot of these books from say image you know dark horse might be the exception but um for a lot of these characters and a lot of these arcs they don't have like a shared universe they're not too connected as a brand too right. much they're they're mostly independent circumstances you know for every book
1: yeah um, isolated
0: universes you do have kind of the long term you know characters like spawn and like hellboy um you know you got valiant to a lesser extent but they've obviously <laughs> gotten into <laughs> pop culture far less than say marvel and dc right um I think there's something to that longevity that these characters don't change a whole lot. They have they experience, you know, period changes, but typically their stories and their trademarks and their symbolism and their ideas don't stray too far from what it used to be, and uh, I think that contributes a lot to these kind of fervent tribalist loyalties where you do have those nostalgic memories of, uh, you know, pursuing particular. DC characters or particular Marvel characters and being fans of those particular characters and buying a t-shirt that represents those particular characters or reading comics that had those particular characters or collecting trading cards or whatever (laughs) the case may be, you know? Yeah. And I think that in and of itself makes the rivalry even stronger because people associate criticism of their tribe, of their brand as a criticism of their memories, of their childhood, of their, right. you know, whatever. It, in
1: some cases, their identity, because that some people tend to latch on to certain characters, yeah, and as a result, tend to latch on to that world that their character associated with.
0: And I, I think that's true for a lot of things. You could name any number of things that have kind of a bilateral... Yeah. Uh, opposition <laughs> politics. Very <laughs> obvious example. If oh, you, yeah. If you grew up in a conservative household, you're most likely more conservative and more aligned with, say, a red, <laughs> a <laughs> a red party. state. Yeah. A red state, red party, red aspects, you know, mm. groups that are red friendly. If you grew up in a more progressive household or, you know, liberal household, you're probably you probably lean a little bit more to the blue side and you probably skew things to the blue side's argument, you know, just as much as the red side skews things to the red side argument and, you know, um, bands, you know, (laughs) me and my buddies used to argue about whether black Sabbath was better or Led Zeppelin was better, you know? (laughs) And that's one where I actually crossed over. (laughs) I actually got convinced and I went to the Led Zeppelin side after a while. Hey, uh, you know, just small things. I mean, you know, back in the day, they had the Rolling Stones versus the Beatles, you know. And, you know, completely different music. But, you know, because that's what we associate with our identity and that's what we associate with our happy memories, we have to defend it. And anything that attacks them or even criticizes them is an attack on my identity, is an attack on my personality. And I, you see that it's all over the Internet, on Twitter uh, and stuff. Oh, yeah. Any time there's criticism of anything, including Justice League there's always a backlash from (laughs) some kind of community that is just blindly loyal. Um, And maybe they do genuinely enjoy it or whatever, and generally (laughs) think the criticisms are invalid. But most of the time it's just seeing things through rose colored glasses and seeing the criticism or the attack on something as a criticism of some, of your identity, of yourself in a small kind of way. You you see it in all kinds of reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, book reviews, uh, (laughs) You know, I my best friend's a huge Game of Thrones fan, and you know, every once in a while, you know, ask me, you know, why won't you watch this with me or whatever. And I'm like, I watched the cert- first season. I don't. I, I read the first book. I don't. I don't like it, man. I just you, it's, it's just, just, just not my thing. You yeah, know? it's but not for you. It, it, it sucks for him because he he likes it so much and he sees it so much as part of his identity in a way that we all do. You know, over certain things. You know. Oh yeah. If someone tried to argue with me about the validity of Lord of the Rings being you know lesser than something you know similar i would probably take it like personally at first you know until i thought rationally i was like i'm overreacting to this this is kind of silly
1: maybe the same thing with the uh cincinnati Bengals. How
0: dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) We are a hallowed team. (laughs) 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 But yes, Uh, yes, there is an element to that, too. Oh, yeah. But that's part of the fun of sports. Uh, Oh, yeah. The whole point is to be ridiculous and irrational with your support and fandom. Um,
1: And your uh, distaste for teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Oh, yeah. The one good part of Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> <laughs> the destruction of Hinesfield, <laughs> but um, uh,
1: yeah, I think that,
0: I think everything we've touched on is you know absolutely a contributing factor, and when you have these established companies and comic book, you know, heroes that have been around since the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you know, yeah, that's a lot of time for you know <laughs> identity to kind of build up association with these companies and these groups whereas groups like image and dark horse and lions forge and aftershock and you know titan books you you know vault comics even valiant to a
1: lesser extent and vertigo you know things that have jumped up only within like the last 20 to 30 years these
0: companies change a lot over time (laughs) they have a lot of turnover they have a lot of poaching and you know loss and you know they have many ice many more isolated stories and characters with few exceptions and really don't they don't have that kind of historical animosity from like the corporate sabotage and copying yeah Um, you don't (laughs) have the uh the things like with Bendis where he's leaving Marvel and going to DC and some people are seeing him as a traitor, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, Jim Lee leaving Marvel and ending up with image and DC, you know, those, those sorts of things, you know? Yeah. So there's those kind of identity uh, politics. There's the kind of attrition of talent and, you know, uh, ideas. Um, There's the obvious similarities between both groups where, you know, (laughs) the, the, dc books had the justice league first but then you know marvel had to create their own team and made the avengers and yeah all these sorts of things and dynamics where yeah yeah, i can see how people (laughs) maybe (laughs) irrationally at times (laughs) go a little too hard on their alliances and their uh, the things they perceive as part of their their own identity so only a little. <laughs> Is there anything you wanted to add, or you think we covered it?
1: Uh, I think we we covered that pretty well, I think. Yeah, not bad, not
0: bad. Hmm. All right, let's get into my topic. It's a little bit shorter, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just thought it would be fun to talk about if you could have any collectible from comic books, mm. what would you want and why?
1: Because there's so many things that I want. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I'll throw one out there. I would really love to have the first issues of Detective Comics number I think twenty seven. It's the first Batman appearance. I'd really love to have uh the first Superman appearance when you know, with the car over his head. Yeah. And I'd really love to have the first Wonder Woman book. Uh, from Sensational Comics, you know. Yeah. I and think uh, having those three books I I mean ideally in a perfect world they'd be in perfect (laughs) condition and they'd all be autographed by the creators you know
1: oh yeah but i mean in any
0: form it would be wonderful if you know first print and i i would treasure those forever i would (laughs) i would not let those things leave my sight unless (laughs) i was donating them to a museum or something right you know
1: um this would be like a glass case in the middle of a museum room with a lot of lasers where you, you got to be like Catwoman to yeah get your hands on it.
0: And our, our last episode, we talked about gimmicks that companies, comic companies use to kind of sell books. One gimmick that totally gets me is first appearances. Oh, yeah. If they're introducing a new character that isn't like a ripoff of a former character. For example... I don't give a shit about Riri Williams. I don't care about the female version of Thor that took over. You know, yeah, they're not a new character. They're just the same character being tossed <laughs> into the diversifier machine and thrown back out. You know,
1: yeah. But that uh, first issue of Fantastic Four that introduces a character like Black Panther, on the other hand, yeah, or like Amazing Fantasy number, I'm forgetting the one where. It's Spider-Man's first appearance. Yeah.
0: And then Wolverine, first appearance in a Hulk book.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know,
0: most people don't know that. Right. It <laughs> uh, uh, was just this Canadian <laughs> villain dude <laughs> who came like, over and tried to chop him up.
1: Yeah, this yellow dude with uh, what looked like uh, pig stickers coming out of his hands.
0: Yeah, and he was just so popular, they turned him into... a an X-Men. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, books like that would be awesome. I and mean, you never you never know. You never know what's going to hit it off. You That's know? true. So I, I always kind of just, they always suck me in if I know there's a new <laughs> character in there for the first time, especially if they're on the cover. You know, even a villain, hero, anti, anti-hero, anti-villain, whatever, I always get lured in and I'm like, ah, crap, I'm going to buy this. <laughs> I'm probably not going to like it, but I'm going to buy it. Cause, Cause it's I'm like, a new character and I can't help myself.
1: The entire original first printing of every single Watchmen comic.
0: That'd be pretty awesome. Oh. I, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I had a chance to buy some, some of these collectibles. I like, I, I was going to collect the whole run of uh, Frank Miller's dark Knight returns. Yeah. And um, another one that they had was a few issues of the Watchmen. This is at World's Greatest Comics up in uh Westerville, ah. here in Columbus, Ohio. And um I love going there for the more collectible stuff. Laughing Ogre is good for like new stuff and a large variety of things. They got some old stuff, but yeah. most of their most of their stuff oh,
1: is new and for yeah. like keeping current.
0: Yeah, most of their appeal is just the diversity of covers that they have and the number of issues they have so you can usually get what you want that's just come out or whatever. Yeah. World's Greatest Comics up in Westerville is much better at uh, having like well-preserved uh well-packaged and unfortunately accurately priced (laughs) um collectible comics you know yeah but they make it so easy on you you know because you don't have to risk getting it from ebay or something and you know ended up with a damaged comic or something that's a third printing that they lied to on ebay about or something you know it's happened to me once or twice for lady mechanica (laughs) yeah um so those are just a, a handful of examples. Um, obviously, you know, the big characters. Everybody wants the first Spider-Man. Everybody wants the first Punisher, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, first X-Men, you name oh, it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Uncanny X-Men, I think it's number 266. Yeah. Is the first appearance of Gambit.
0: <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh,
0: obviously, <laughs> the thing is, like, my favorite character is Nightwing. Everybody knows this if you've been watching this show for any length of time. Oh, yeah. Um, The problem with my fandom of Nightwing is that his first issue of existence as a character was Batman and Robin, where he was a, a sales gimmick, you know, essentially, to yeah. get more kids to buy the book. And then... When he became Nightwing, I think in the '80s, um, <laughs> he had the ridiculous disco costume, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the, uh, the the beginnings of the mullet, you know, that he, eventually he... became his staple for a few years until he changed into the modern costume we know and love, you know, yeah, with the wing on the front and just the black, you know.
1: Yeah, he had a whole lot of yellow going on in that first getup. Yeah, he
0: had the high collar, you know, the <laughs> Doctor Strange pop collar, and the bright blue and yellow, and it was it was so goofy and silly. And uh, you know, I, if I collected that first issue with him as I think it was a Teen Titan, I think it was New Teen Titans where he first premiered as Nightwing. Yeah, um, if I did that, I'd be like, I'm happy I have this, I guess, but I don't really want to display it. <laughs> <laughs> because I hate this costume so much.
1: I'm going to keep it for my private collection. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anyone to have to see him in his original getup. Yeah, I'll be like oh. Smeagol
0: or Gollum, you know, hoarding it. No one can see it, you know. <laughs> oh, the
1: precious. Oh, <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Pirates to take it from us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, uh, uh, that's like yeah. that's probably a collectible everybody would think I want, but I really don't. Yeah,
1: don't uh, Daredevil when he originally came out, his getup was kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like we're gonna have yellow and red. Yeah, and it's it none of this is gonna work really. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna look weird. And, like, the part of it that's red is going to look like you're wearing a weird, like, red wife beater <laughs> on, on top of, like, a, a long-sleeve yellow shirt. Yeah. And you're also kind of into sticks. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: another thing I'm big on is
1: <clears throat> commissioned artwork. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: there's a few comic artists, like uh, Banks, for example, creator of Kyle Rayner. Yeah. Um, I have his email so that I can request, like, custom art and stuff. and once i have more money I, w- I will request that you know a commission for him but i think it's so cool when people have those just you know images usually artists will charge a rate i know like um uh neil adams does a lot of commission work and stuff like that um banks obviously but um that's just awesome i, l- I love seeing like the pencils like oh, the pencils yeah. sometimes they ink them sometimes they don't but when they have the pencils and they you know you commission them and you, you have them up and you, sometimes they let you request certain characters and sometimes you, they just surprise you and either way you're usually pretty happy with it you know oh so, yeah
1: from the original uh artists yeah. of
0: course having those original pencils and artists and it's, it's a unique piece of art made just for you and that's what's so special about it and I think that's what makes it so valuable to me um that you can in a lot of cases obviously the big names it's a little harder to get those commissions you know usually they don't do anything unless it's for like a charity event or something but um right for artists that you know maybe their heyday has gone past or you know they're not working in the industry quite as much they do commissions on the side for you know to keep up their skills and to you know make a little extra dough on the side you know whatever the case may be but yeah um yeah, there's a handful out there that just make really, really great quality panels and stuff. And you know, sometimes people are kind of skeevy about it. You know, they'll get a commission from a you know a very kind artist, artist that does this hard work for them and sends it to them. You know, for whatever their commission is, hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars, whatever. And then they sell it for twice as much on eBay or something, you know?
1: Ooh. That's what I don't
0: like. I hate when I, I hate when I see like resale on panels, you know, it, sometimes it might be for a legitimate reason. Maybe, you know, you lost your job and you need to, you need to buy groceries for your kids or, you know, uh, you know, somebody passed away and they had this great collection of, you know, custom art, but they just, nobody in the family wanted it. So they're selling it off or whatever. Understandable, totally understandable, but, um, it always rubs me the wrong way when I see this stuff on, like, eBay and stuff. Because this is hard work that artists put in to satisfy you as a particular customer. More often than not, they kind of scope you out. And, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? What characters do you like? You know, what poses do you like? What What's your favorite comic book memory or something? You know, they scope you out just a little bit. Just so they mm-hmm. can put a little bit of your identity into this custom piece of artwork and sign in for you. And yeah. to me, that's like... To me that's like receiving a letter from your favorite athlete or, you know, favorite movie star, like addressed to you. That it's the equivalent of that to me, but better, you know. So, oh, easily. I'm a huge fan of, you know, custom commissioned artwork uh as a collectible in particular. I will say one thing I'm not a fan of is these statues and, <laughs> you know, any kind of like 3D like statue or po- Funko Funkos, yeah um funko pops like all this if you enjoy that stuff not
1: more power to you more
0: power to you i have nothing against people who enjoy it but for me in particular i see it as kind of a waste because yeah usually the concepts are drawn first anyway or they're based on something that was drawn up in the past uh and often in my opinion i think they would probably look cooler as something that was drawn up or penciled out or something um But when they get molded into these big plastic contraptions or whatever, they just, they take up so much space and they just seem so wasteful. You know, they're made of petroleum products, you know, they're, you know, they're they're usually huge and gaudy and you can't really put them anywhere unless you have a special like podium or, you know, (laughs) counter or something, you know. Yeah, that's they get dust all over them and you know just over time the colors fade because usually they're exposed to all sorts of different light and stuff because they're not a flat surface it's harder to protect them and you know people mess with the arms and stuff and try to like pose them and end up breaking them and stuff you know uh for me it's just not worth it it's not a collectible i desire at all
1: you know it it Um, would be a nice thing to look at in like a museum setting or a setting where the bus could be protected, or yeah. like in some way, shape, or form, taken care of. They, but they uh, become
0: cluttered looking really quickly, if, especially if you have more than you know five or six. You know, yeah. Unless you have a really big house or you know man slash woman cave or whatever you know uh, the case might be. You know, like, most people so, just put them on shelves on their bookshelf and th- wherever they'll fit, and then it just looks cluttered and yeah, nobody it, gets to really appreciate them.
1: Yeah, that that would be the type of thing where. Like one of the things that I do when I'm not taking part in this podcast is I am in a couple of D&D groups. Um, You fucking nerd. (laughs) (laughs) You bastard. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that uh, I've known players to do, or DMs, uh, Dungeon Masters, is to take little figurines that they use to represent... Uh, either the player characters or the enemy combatants, and they'll get these ones that haven't been painted at all and painted themselves. Yeah. Uh, now, translating that painting skill over to painting a bust that just comes as gray and is just waiting for someone to paint it, that, I think, could be a cool hobby. Uh, turn it into, like, your own type of thing to do with... the uh, collectible sure um but apart from that i really don't see why anyone would invest in more than one bust or uh full figure as it were like no matter what scale they're asking for it in yeah um
0: and i I don't deny that a lot of them look really cool and they're really well done yeah um but my problem is they're not particularly unique because they're mass produced, usually yeah. they make a thousand of them or two thousand, however many they think they can sell. And they're right, not, they're not limited by, <laughs> you know, factors like the artist's hand and you know, um, what is inspiring to the artist or what the artist's intentions are. You know, yeah. the artist just makes this mold and ship as many as you think you can sell. Don't make any more. Yeah, um, I, I
1: think there's just something about like the three D. 3D aspect to it that kind of it feels like there's something removed from the artists that would like normally just sketch it yeah. draw it on paper
0: and it's not to discredit the people that do make these get like, these are skilled artists and craftsmen that make these things but yeah um i don't know i, I feel like it just lacks a certain aesthetic um uh, laughing ogre for example they they're big on selling like statues and stuff they got to Big display case in the middle of their store. That is pretty cool, you know. If you could get a big expensive display case like that where you can literally walk around it in the 3D view and appreciate it. Yeah. But then you have to have somewhere in the middle of the floor to put it, you know, (laughs) where you can walk around it and appreciate it from a 3D perspective. And you do have to have the big expensive probably custom case, you know, to display them. Yeah. And there's just so much added cost. And I I feel like in the end, unless you have a big living space, you know, unless you're... Fairly well off, it's really hard to have things like that and appreciate them.
1: You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, cost is always going to be a barrier for, for entry. What,
0: particularly for what you spend for them, because, you know, you can get a new comic for three, four, or five bucks. You know, yeah. statues usually cost a few hundred, you know?
1: Yeah. There's there's no sleeving a bust.
0: Yeah. So it's a little difficult. Any other collectibles? Hey. You would um, like to collector. I, I I
1: I would say uh particularly uh movie posters. Yeah. Like um a poster for Batman nineteen eighty nine. That'd be oh pretty my, awesome. Oh my yeah. god.
0: <laughs> I think uh movie posters are definitely cool, but I think I have two well maybe three small problems with them. One is they're very hard to upkeep. Yeah, that because, that is very true.
1: Without like framing it,
0: yeah, you have to basically frame it immediately, which is expensive. Yeah, um, because they're large, or they're going to wear out really quick. The colors because they're made on cheap paper that's meant to be you know stapled to some kid's wall or something, you know, yeah, in their bedroom for five years or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, yeah, that's a different update. They need game. to be laid flat without creasing them on accident or folding them or anything like that and hopefully they came undamaged in the tube or whatever you got it in hopefully <laughs> and then you have to have it matted and framed which is expensive and then you still have to hide the surface area which is far larger than a comic book for example from you know direct sunlight because it'll fade really quick right um, so that's a that's a troubles but if you can get past all that i think it's totally worth it and um I have one other small problem with movie posters is I remember as a kid going to the movie theater and they would sell them at the movie theater or they give them away as a promo and something like that, you know? You yeah. usually get a pretty cool movie poster at the movie theater. They don't do that anymore. At least not the places I've gone. Yeah. You know, the, the places you get a movie poster nowadays is usually at like walmart (laughs) right some big department store and usually they're not movie centric they're like a character centric poster you know yeah you get a big poster of wonder woman you know for the justice league movie or something like that or a big poster of cyborg but yeah
1: it's just basically a printout of like the promotional art yeah it's rarely like
0: the full movie poster with the credits and the characters and you know yeah all those things so i feel like those aren't even really around as much anymore Unless you, Not work, anymore. unless you work for the movie theater, you know, and you can steal one of the promo <laughs> ones before they throw it away.
1: Yeah. Shout out to anyone of those people who does work for those studios. If you want to maybe contact us, get <laughs> some info on that.
0: Yeah, I've noticed a lot yeah. of people of uh, uh, the past, I don't know, five or six years have been taking those big cardboard cutouts and taking them <laughs> home i know a lot of GameStop people do it i don't know i haven't seen too many movie ones but i know a lot of people swipe those because they basically just get thrown away
1: that's one thing that i thought was interesting about the uh, latest justice league movie is they had this uh pretty extensive uh cardboard cutout yeah where
0: you could stand with them and stuff yeah
1: yeah i thought that was interesting yeah we should go
0: back to the theater and take photos and then <laughs> not see the movie. <laughs> because I won't give them my money again.
1: <laughs> it's like, I, I'm sorry, we don't have tickets. We just want a photo with this thing. Yeah.
0: I'd say one other thing that a lot of people collect um, is trading cards.
1: Yeah. Uh, those I, used to be huge in the 90s.
0: Absolutely. I feel like they're less prevalent today because now they have, like, digital trading cards where basically you can battle with them and whatever through a digital app, you know. It's just right. a little easier than, like, taking a pen and paper and, like, trying to keep track of everything and learn the game, you know. Now you have right. a device in your hand that can teach you everything and, you know, you don't have to buy a book to protect the cards and you don't have to worry about losing the cards because they're on the app, you know.
1: It's so much easier now.
0: But I think it... it It doesn't have, for me personally, if I, I feel like if I was a kid in this era, I would not be interested at all Um, in either one because, you know, if you get the physical ones, nobody's going to want to play with you or use them with you or look at them with you. Because most people don't have it. And if you get the digital ones, it's like they're not going to last. It's not like, you know, you got to get a new phone or a new iPad or a new computer or whatever and you're not going to care anymore and you're just going to forget about them, you know?
1: And for card games on your phone. Hearthstone's already a thing.
0: Yeah. Um, Gwent. <laughs> Gwent. That one too. There's a bunch of stuff out there, but I did enjoy, I used to have a lot of the uh, Marvel collectible cards. Yeah. I, I never bothered to learn the game because it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh came later and I guess Magic was around. I don't know. I didn't play it, but there's other ga- card games to play if you wanted to go that route uh for me i had baseball cards that i inherited and then i had uh those marvel cards that i really loved and really i would literally sit you know on my bed or something you know, and just go through my whole collection of Marvel cars and just look at the artwork, and think they were so cool, and like imagine stories for like what they were doing in the card and stuff. Like, oh uh, yeah, I don't know why, but I remember the Saber Tooth one really vividly. Oh, it was, it was very much like the '90s style uh, Saber Tooth from the show and stuff. You know, with like the with weird the big, thing,
1: like the fur collar. Yeah, 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 and he's kind of
0: the... going forward like this, you know, <clears throat> with the teeth hanging out and stuff. Yeah, it was just awesome. I I I love those cards. I I <laughs> I don't remember them all. I remember the Sabretooth one, and I remember like a cyclops one I had, but like I don't remember a whole lot of them. But I remember it, the the happiness I had associated with looking through them and stuff. And my...
1: uh, oh yeah, the uh, I remember the artwork being very glossy. Weirdly, mm-hmm. and by glossy I don't mean that the uh... I don't mean that the the colors were glossy. It, like they somehow managed to make these characters seem realistic looking ish, yeah. but like in a glossy manner. Like they ink, they occupied three D space yeah. without using those weird hologram. Absolutely. Things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right on. Which I thought was, I thought was incredible. Uh, each one
0: had like a cool, like textured background and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I I love those cards, and I. I know a lot of people like because there were just so many of them. A lot of people just throw them away now. Like I know some yeah. comic shops like have them in the back if you ask for them, but like most people don't even want them. But I kind of want them. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and yeah. I'm afraid if I ask they'll like try to charge me, you know, an arm and a leg for them to like try to make back the money they thought they were going <laughs> to get for them, you know. Either as that the or one just kind per- of look at you funny. As the one person that still wants them, you know? Because I, I remember those memories, and I kind of want to see them again, like, in person to see if they were as cool as I thought they were, you know? Yeah. And if they are, I want to keep them, you know? Yeah. I'll put oh them in the God. little card packs and hang them up. I don't care. It's
1: like, <laughs> hey! Um, Reliving the 90s. They actually, for some weird reason, Marvel had a printing of comic books, like, this year mm-hmm. that had... Like those cards those as variant like, issues, yeah. yeah.
0: They were they were fine, but they did the weird thing that they've been doing with the toys too, where they had the action figure on the cover, but it's like in the packaging with the packaging around. I'm like, who wants that? <laughs> they did the same thing with the card where they put the picture of the card, but then they put like a card background and like it's... wrappers and stuff, and I'm like, I don't want that. I just want <laughs> the to... I want the card art,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Big just... and
0: blown up. That's yeah, what I
1: want. <laughs> came off as weird yeah i really
0: wonder who did the artwork for all those cards i am so so curious that guy deserves some credit i'll maybe i'll put his name (laughs) (laughs) and his picture right here if i can find it him or her because they did some awesome awesome artwork right here is there any other big collectibles you can think of that you'd comic book stuff you'd really love for me it's you know big ones signed comics um variant collections that i really love like the steampunk one and Obviously, the bombshell ones. Um, there's other ones, obviously. Uh, uh, big, first appearance issues. First appearance issues. Big favorite runs. Like, I collected all the uh, Blackest Night books. I have yeah. the whole Wake run cause I, by Scott Snyder. The Wake was really good. I have the whole Witches run. Um, I have all but one of the Hush books. The only one I, I can't... The original Hush run. Yeah. The only one I don't have is... Um, the one with superman and batman on the cover. Uh-huh. Or Batman's turned or excuse me, Superman's turned. And that's that's the hardest one to get cuz it's the most expensive. <sighs> um but once I have that one, uh my whole Hush collection and else, I'll, I'll be framing those. <laughs> nice. <laughs> my favorite Jim Lee covers, you know. Uh um,
1: yeah, that was uh that was a magical time for Jim Lee.
0: Yeah, that was an outstanding run too. It's just beautiful art cool story it was it was a lot of fun um but yeah beyond those i can't really think of c- you know the the art obviously any kind of commissioned art but it's just so pricey you know and um if i could ever find those cards again you know <laughs> i'll take them off your hand if you don't want them <laughs> uh, i probably wouldn't pay much for them but i'll take them off your hands oh yeah uh is there anything else you got your All movie
1: right. posters uh, movie posters. Uh, I personally would love uh, Kyle Rayner's like original run with his original costume. Yeah, um,
0: I have a few of them autographed too.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, there's uh, Uncanny X Men number one mm-hmm. uh, with like all of the Jim Lee covers. Yeah, that would uh, be awesome. Yeah, uh, and that. Entire first run with Jim Lee. Uh, What else would I like? I'm sure there's more, and I think there's always going to be more that I add to the list. (laughs) But uh, I'm going to keep it to that for now.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps this topic up pretty well. What What do you think?
1: Uh, I think that uh, pretty much covers it. Uh, If you guys have any... uh, collectibles that you would like to mention go ahead and leave a comment down in the comment section
0: yeah let us know because i'm sure we forgot stuff i mean i even got a an old issue of comic collector here hey i don't know when i got this but i got it, <laughs> it really outdated prices i know a lot of people like to collect like the uh newspaper like strips and stuff like that but i've never been a, a big fan of that that sort of thing right but um yeah I, i'd love to hear what you guys think. If, uh, for example, if you're one of those uh, Funko Pop people, you know, well, what is it that makes you gravitate towards them? Why do you collect them? Why do you have trouble with space? <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you take uh, them out of the box? You know, n- enjoy I, them that way, or do you leave them in the box because a lot I, of them lose value?
1: I actually have several of them that were just kind of given to me yeah. by a friend, but they're all Street Fighter related. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our statues even like, uh, you know, for statues and like posable action figures and stuff. Do you do you actually go through the trouble of keeping them in the box and not really taking them out and enjoying them? Or do you, you know, unbox make, them and t- maybe pose them, them and pose them and yeah. make the effort to get a display case and all that stuff? You know, I'm really curious. So let me know. Movie p- poster people. Are there real legit movie posters anymore? <laughs> yeah. Are you able to get them? Are they available? <laughs> let me know. Well, Emery, I think that wraps up another mediocre edition of Hit the Books podcast. Mediocre! <laughs> Thank you all for sticking with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit like and subscribe down below. And follow us on your podcast services and social networks of choice. Remember, we're on Twitter at HTBVids. We're on Facebook at forward slash Hit the Books. And we have our website, www dot htbvids.com where you can check out all our latest reviews and content and if you can't find any of our stream links or whatever you can literally go to the website click a big button that i have on the home page and go directly to your stitcher itunes or youtube page because we need a little bit more viewers to get our vanity url oh yeah <laughs> for youtube <laughs> so uh any help you guys want to aid with that is greatly appreciated oh yeah um, remember, we come to you with the podcast every Wednesday from here on out, rain or shine, obviously through this holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can keep up with the other holidays. We'll see.
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure we can. <laughs> We're bad enough dudes, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, remember, uh, last week we just released our first season of instructional videos about boxing, boarding, framing your comics. And uh, I believe my next instructional video series is going to be about how to evaluate your comics, how to make sure you're getting first editions and not something else and something fraudulent, um, how to evaluate value, how to send in a comic and get it you know, uh, appraised properly and uh, sealed, and how to make like Excel spreadsheets and stuff to help organize your collection, help you budget, and do these things in a way that won't crush your wallet <laughs> and your <laughs> dignity right um so look forward to season two i'll probably be recording that in about a month or so and uh be sure to check out our latest reviews we got thor ragnarok and justice league up over the past two weeks so oh yeah be sure to check those out let us know what you think um we'd really love to hear your feedback on them well i want to thank you all for sticking with us i'm your host chris holcomb
1: and i'm emory saunders
0: and we will see you next week
1: Excelsior!
0: (laughs) Bye-bye!